Hey, party people, this is Christian, and this is another Brightside Podcast. Okay, so today we actually have a special guest with us. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> we actually have a special guest with us today. Um, well, I'm here with Nick, and we actually have Dr. Otero um, with us. Dr. Otero, go say hi. Hi, how are you? <laughs> um, so, um, Dr. Otero, um, I took several classes with you um, mm-hmm. here. I went to El Camino, and I took some college classes with you and I always thought you were um, and the subject was really interesting that you covered um, I took physical anthropology and and uh, religion and uh, witchcraft with you as well anthropology um, tell us a little bit about yourself um, well um, my age if you want to <laughs> yeah. well no I, I'm from Argentina and um, I was a, believe it or not, actually, when I was a kid, I was, uh, in spite, actually, of the fact that I'm small, I was a jock. That is, actually, at school, you know, mainly my interest was just sports. Really? And, yeah, I remember I I have even the medal, for example, because uh, we ended up number uh, three in Argentina in basketball. And my oh, wow. city was a tiny little city, you know. It uh, was a, a region of Argentina which wasn't even considered a state because... Uh, uh, that we didn't have the population to become a city to be considered a state. Huh. Still in my city, actually, there was, I don't know, such a, I don't know, a, an interest in basketball. No? And, and on my, my uncles had played for, for the state, and they put me in a basketball academy when I was eight years old and just went all the way. Actually, in school, I played in clubs, and, and then we ended up actually with the school third in the, in the country. However... By then, I was just uh, in the in the bench all the time because I wasn't the in the juniors, and they just uh. added me to the team. But my friends continued, <laughs> actually, the ones that uh, were with me in juniors, and they ended up then uh, the school ended up actually third in the country again, you know. But the reason why I stopped playing basketball then is because I got into music, mm. you know, and. I had been playing a little bit, but then I was by then actually 15, 16, and I got into music uh, totally in, and then um, that's it, you know, everything changed in my life, and and and, and then actually when we were uh, the following year, I was actually 17, another friend was 16, another one was uh, 15, another 14, we just decided to... Uh, that we wanted to start our group in Europe, and therefore, actually, we couldn't tell our parents they wouldn't let us. You know. What year was this? 1972. Oh, wow. Wow, so this was... No, well, it was 1971 when we decided, but 1972 is when we actually uh, told our parents we were going to a certain city where I was going to stay and actually uh, continue college. Mm-hmm. And we said um, we're going to <clears throat> see a concert. And actually, in halfway, <laughs> no, we never actually reached the city. Right. We just we were in different buses, and we just got off the buses, you know, uh, each one of us, you know, their own, and then uh, hitchhiked until a certain point, and we met there, and then we just started hitchhiking. Well, we actually got into a train, you know, a freight train that carries yeah. grains yeah. with the holes on top, 
Yeah, and then, yeah, we got into that. Then in the morning, we were on top of the train, you know, just through the poles <laughs> and stuff. And wow. yeah, we just were going all the that way up to balls. northern. Yeah, to no, just oh, otherwise, just, just, I don't know, just craziness. But uh, we just uh, got, went all the way to northern Argentina, and there we didn't have papers or documents, so we couldn't cross the border or anything. But we kind of like befriended the uh, border patrol, uh -huh. you know. Some of the individuals, and then they let us actually just go to that border town. Okay. But by then we sold everything we had, you know, that is actually, I had all the clothes, everything that I was bringing to college. So we ended up with jeans, uh, I remember military boots, <laughs> then shirt, like a red, sh uh, I mean a green kind of like military shirt that we used to like wear. Like a camouflage shirt? No, 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 no camouflage, green. Just, just, green, just green, you know, just green, kind of like a, you know those Typical with like the one, pockets the one I had, and I had like green army. I don't army shirt, really yeah. <laughs> and and uh, yeah, they, we we had the appearance kind of about very young, you know, but kind of like even Che Guevara or something like that, because with long hair, with beard, <laughs> and then just a, a jacket, and that's it. And and we ended up, you know, it took us a while, but we ended up in La Paz hiking and things like that we ended up in La Paz Bolivia oh wow a beautiful gorgeous city you know and right there at top you know on top of the Andes and and then um, well while we were there actually uh, some uh, we were noticing that uh, as we were talking to the Indians that actually they were just always looking towards the ground you know and and what well, we didn't realize then but actually that's a result of you know of so many years of oppression, colonization, and so on. Mm -hmm. And but that day, actually, uh, all of a sudden, we started actually noticing that there was a military parade, and more than a parade, it was actually a military takeover, a coup, a coup oh, happening wow. right then, right then. W what there. country again? Bolivia it was Banzer, B-A-N-Z-E-R, was the the. There was, so there was the, a military coup happening <coughs> in 1972 then. February 1972. Wow. And we were there, and and we were then actually scared, no? Yeah. <laughs> <So at least. laughs> By then, actually, we even, the only reason why we had made it up to there is because, actually, we would be asking for food everywhere. Mm -hmm. And usually it would be Indians who would be giving us food. You know, bread and bananas and stuff like that. Uh, we would say, okay, let's go for, for breakfast. We would go somewhere and ask. Actually, Indians, you know, <laughs> either a store or whatever, you know, to to feed us. And Indians are really friendly. And, <laughs> and yeah, I remember at one point we were in Potosí, I think, and we hadn't eaten for a while. And we went actually to a restaurant, and a, and a lady actually told us, "Come back at whatever time, and I'll feed you." And she gave us actually there, of course, I don't know, something with a lot of rice and stuff. There was this red sauce on the side. Mm -hmm. And I, said, I was so hungry, I just <laughs> spread the sauce all over. I couldn't eat. It was so spicy. You know? Sriracha. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but uh, then uh, the thing is that we were that night, let's say in Bolivia, in La Paz, and I remember uh, we were at a bar. A fight broke out. We just ran out of the bar, and we saw actually we hear we we could hear the shots, and then uh, and then a. You see, people were pulled from their by the hairs, you know, to military jeeps, military trucks. Oh wow! And we were I just just couldn't stop actually 
shaking, no? as afraid as could be. And these two tall blonde guys with long raincoats in a way. Mm -hmm. Like trench uh, coats kind of? Yeah, but in a way actually they didn't belong. That is their ethnic appearance had nothing to do with, you know, what you could see there. Uh -huh. So no, they weren't walking as if they owned the place. That is actually they were oblivious to everything. They were, you see, they weren't actually affected at all by it. What was going on? Disturbance, yeah. And actually they were even walking by the military jeeps and so on and with, without any problems. And they saw, they noticed us, they came to us, and they started speaking to us, but <clears throat> with an American accent, oh. you know? They don't disunderstand these muchachos, you know? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And, and, well, and, they, <laughs> and they actually led us to a, to a took us to a hotel, uh -huh. and the hotel actually, they demanded for a room to give it, be given to us, even though actually they weren't willing to do that. And, and then, they paid for the room, and they told us actually tomorrow, as soon as you get up, just leave, you know, the city and the country, because actually it's a very, very unstable, you know, very dangerous, actually, situation going on. So that's uh, what we did. And did and you ever find that? Oh no, no. In a way, we tried to get out. Oh. Okay. We we got out of the city, but then we were stuck in Bolivia for about a month. Just uh, holy crap. Yeah, just all just we could hiding. do is just, yeah, even actually we, at one point I remember we're in another city, Oruro, I remember, and just sleeping in the, you know, the actually, <clears throat> I don't know, the entrance to a church, and uh, and there um, we woke up, I remember four of us, you know, it was four of us, and and we saw actually that there was a police station right there, we ran out, ran away, but they, they in a way, actually, they managed to, to notice us, and they called us in, and we were interrogated, but nothing happened, luckily. But we were just going all over in, in, on trucks carrying bags of coca leaves. You know, all the Indians were there, and, and they were chewing coca. They, you know, we tried it, we didn't like it, we just <laughs> kept on going. And, but, but uh, yeah, it was like a month and a half later, we were back at our hometown. And, well, actually, we were back at that city you know, in Argentina, where we were going to initially go to see that concert. <laughs> were they still there? <laughs> yeah, we were still actually there. <laughs> <laughs> when, when we got there, actually, we were still, can you believe, actually, even though by then uh, I met with my sister and she, she gave me <clears throat> some money and so on, we were still actually going to restaurants asking for food. We continued doing that for, for you know, for the longest time. Wow. But then, actually, after that, we tried to get out of Argentina, because our plan was initially to go all the way, you see, to, through, through actually Bolivia, Peru, Colo mm -hmm. Ecuador, Colombia, you know, even we wanted to visit the Gal Galapagos Island, I don't know why. Isn't that where, uh, and, and then we went <laughs> to that, Mexico and go to Europe. Isn't that's, that where, um, like, the Che Guevara, the motorcycle diaries? Yeah, that's right, that's also, well, yeah. The same route? Yeah, but we didn't have Take a clue it. about actually that trip he made, no, and we weren't, we weren't necessarily actually influenced at all by his ideas, let's say, no. Mm -hmm. uh, by then, actually, we were mostly um, influenced by readings we had made totally misguided, let's say, or without any guidance. Of Lobsang Rampa, have you guys heard of Lobsang no, Rampa? No, I've never heard. Who's that? Well, if you actually look online, uh, Lobsang Rampa is was a such a prolific and successful writer, 
in the 60s, I don't know whether he started in the 50s or not, but 60s, at mm-hmm. least, uh, he wrote actually, yeah, he must have started in the 50s. The Third Eye was his first book. Supposedly, he was actually a, a lama from Tibet. You know what? The, uh, the doctor from Lhasa, I think, was another one. I have the, the titles in Spanish. And, and well, well, there's a few people that have talked about <clears throat> the Third Eye. Yeah, um, well, the Third Eye is a, is a you know, a... It's of common knowledge, no? That is the idea that there is actually, perhaps right here, no? In this section of the forehead, there's a, there's a, I don't know, perhaps a, an organ, but that provides you with the capability to, to, in a way, actually to, to, to focus, you know, in the other dimension, or, you know, right. mm-hmm. something like that, you know, to be clairvoyant and so on and so forth, but we were so influenced by them and then we were I could say, I would say actually that we were in in a semi cult you know created you know by ourselves but for the longest time I was I didn't even speak of this because I was always kind of like afraid let's say very yeah. afraid you know? <laughs> uh, because uh, we did for well, what from what in a way actually made us uh, you know a attempt to do that trip let's say you know to to get into that long trip and so on and what really actually uh, pushed us to even got together into a band was actually the, the fact that we got into a Ouija board yeah we actually did that for years that conditioned our decisions for I don't know seven years or so really every, wow. decis- every big decision or every every decision that we made basically you wow. know you know, there's I came to the United States because of the Ouija board. I, I wish I would have been in Argentina still. Oh, really? Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so in a way, actually, and the idea is that we were getting, <clears throat> uh, let's go, instructions from even these lamas from T- uh, Tibet, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Love and Rampa. You were trying to reach so. out to the lamas using the Ouija board, or? I don't know how it started. I remember I was in a, I went to a school you know, end of the year trip or something like that. Mm. And when I came back, I went to visit my friends, no, and my best friends. And they told me, you know what, actually we contacted Lamas from Tibet and they told us that uh, we have to start a, a rock band and you have to be in it. And I said, oh, okay, great. <laughs> I, just, I just, in a way, immediately didn't see any... Anything you just strange heard blah, 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 I thought, blah, band. Yeah, <laughs> I, I thought, well, yeah, it sounds, it sounds logical exciting. enough. Exciting. Yeah, logical. logical. <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> so you can see in a way, actually, it was quite gullible then. And, and then I, I got into it. Well, and that's, that's what, in a way, actually led us to do, engaging to so many, so many things. But it was actually, it was a beautiful time in my life, an intense as can imagine then actually we had our band and it was great intense but at the same time I think that uh, it was a time of uh, a lot of distress and anxiety for a few of us because you see it was something big you know in the sense to us you know we believed that we were we believed we believed that we were actually um Gonna change the uh, I don't know the direction, the fate of humanity. In a way. Okay. We believe that actually that one of the the members of the band was the new Messiah. Oh, you know, wow. I was really deep. We were into this. 
So in a way, basically, I, I in a way, I, I, I just not rejected, but to a certain extent, actually dismissed, you know, my family from then on. Hmm. You know, it was it was really thinking back. You see, I'm quite saddened by it, in spite of the fact that it led me to a lot of fun stuff. You know, right. I'm very very saddened because actually the relationship with my family totally changed. And I remember even at one point, actually, during those years, uh, my grandmother, who I loved, uh, actually I grew up in her place, you know, in her house with my mother and so on, but she passed away and I just didn't even want to go to the funeral. Well, I went back then, yeah, to the, yeah, and, but, but yeah, no, but, but it was scary. And let me t- just show you an example why at one point, actually, one of the members of the band, um, Kind of like started acting weird, no? Like he's actually walking naked in the street, we playing oh, wow. guitar and so on, taking jail and I don't know, something like that. But and so we, he was out of control, and so I remember we asked why was he out of control, and they said, well, because actually he started losing his faith, so we we withdrew the protected protected covering that we were providing him. He was actually forces of evil i don't know and you know and that it just to me gave me an anxiety i i since then i remember i've had an incredible amount of anxiety that now in the last few i don't know several years you know i've been able to actually uh, control or get rid of let's say but wow so and that's what led me then to anthropo in the sense actually anthrop i kept on (laughs) you see two of us came here um the drummer of the band, mm-hmm. supposedly the Messiah, mm-hmm. and me, myself. The other two stayed. And, uh, but my mindset was such then that my best friend was that guy who, in a way, actually had problems. Then we find out he, he had actually some just, just problems, you know, genetic problems and so on. But, like but I remember I won't... Schizophrenia kind of problems? Or? Bipolar, bipolar. Bipolar. Yeah, the things I don't want to, in a way, actually... Made that public without it. Yeah, yeah, right. But uh, the thing is that I remember he was my best friend, and he actually, I think that friendship to me meant more than even all what we call our mission and whatever. Mm. You know, that was all this group. And I remember at one point he was so disappointed with the fact that it seemed we we couldn't make any music, whatever, and he said, and he was just gonna, I don't know, just abandon everything. And I said, you know, we really haven't tried yet. Mm-hmm. I tell you, if you want, let's go to Brazil and try it out. And I said, tomorrow I'll be here at 4 or 5 in the morning. And we just uh, hitchhike to Brazil and just live there. But that was my, you see, my my approach towards things mm-hmm. then. You know, I, all of a sudden, let's just, you know, hitchhike to Brazil and just go there and see what happens. You know, and, yeah. and yeah. as if you two guys decide right now, you know, why don't we go, I don't know, somewhere, you know, perhaps <laughs> to, you want to go to Panama, whatever, let's go. And just see what happens, yeah, you know. Yeah, and and yeah. that was <clears throat> the idea. And I wish he had said yes. And then actually, uh, well, I don't know. I, I, but uh, by then I was. But he, he said no. Seen, he said no. And then actually ended up coming with the other guy here. Mm-hmm. Uh, he actually is a musician. He plays. You know, that's all he does. I think. You know, he's a session oh, wow. musician, incredible drummer, and musician in general. 
I want to actually meet. I'm meeting with him actually in Monday. Oh you wow! Know, just to, yeah, just to see. I haven't seen him for like a year. We live a few minutes from each other, but our relationship years ago was so so intense that it's. I think it's hard for mm-hmm. for us to. I think I've changed a lot now. That's why. Well, I'm it would be a waste if you hadn't changed. You know, I mean, you're talking about decades and so many things happening. Well, yeah. And yeah, but then again, then I got married. Yeah. With my wife and stuff, kept on writing songs, whatever. But at one point, I had problems. I think because of anxiety, whatever, reflux, my voice went away, whatever. Uh-huh. But then, I remember those experiences with the Indians, you know, in Bolivia and so on. And I was studying. You know, my wife actually uh, went to school, and I uh, went back to school, and I also and she pushed me to go back. You know, and and. I was all along, you know, trying to write. So every, my, my motto was every day, my goal was every day, write a song, good or bad, you know, but write. And I remember I immediately I thought anthropology. And, uh, and once I got into it, I just couldn't, couldn't, uh, just couldn't uh, think of anything else, you know. But the reason why, I, well, initially I decided to start anthropology, to study anthropology because I, Ah, I like creativity, you know, mm-hmm. and I don't, I don't see anything more creative than a culture itself, you know, a cultural pattern, you mm-hmm. know, a culture, let us say, the, the symbolic role of people, you know, how people actually are able to transform, add meaning to everything, you know, yeah. transform whatever is real, you know, and, and actually and, and make it meaningful to them. And there's a different pattern, you know, with every different group of people, let's say, with every different major culture, society, and to me that's so creative, you know. Uh, the reason why I chose religion, however, was because of this uh, initial experience, you know, early experience that I had, because I wanted actually to start thinking, uh, to have a solid base, base, you know, on which I could uh, kind of like uh, build my my understanding of things. And I remember with that friend whom I told you, he was in a group called, by then, even another religious group called, uh, with my wife, we were in one called Theosophy, just for, you know, <laughs> we just, just wanted to experience that. Yeah. And then he was in one called Actualization, which was like a branch of Scientology, something like that. Uh-huh. And <clears throat> he was insisting, you know, me to go to... I had to pay a lot of money yeah, to go and, and, and <laughs> check it out, whatever. And I went to the to the first workshop, let's say. And there I kind of questioned him about all that stuff. And kind of he dismissed me. So then I said, forget it. And I wanted to look for a, a solid base. And that's why the anthropology of religion provided me with that. So what is it about... Um religion specifically that you find most appealing, just in general? Well, nowadays I find actually <clears throat> just culture appealing, you know? Mm. And let's say in the way in which anthropology looks at cultures is what I find appealing. But uh, the thing is, uh, religion, you know, we, well, we look at it as, the, in a way, actually the symbolic. Uh, I mean, we know that all of culture is symbolic, and by symbolic, you, you know what it is, how we assign meaning to stuff, to right. everything, yeah, you know, yeah. to assign meaning to 
I don't know, to features of the landscape, anything in the physical environment, in the social environment as well. You know, some pe people end up, it's not just people, but now actually there are people with different meaning. You know, that is actually some individuals actually, I don't know, uh, we see some as, again, as messiahs, uh, others are just uh, basic people, others are superior, others are inferior to us, you know, but uh, on the basis of, I don't know, it could be actually class position or ethnic background, you know, and so yeah. on. Yeah, uh, I remember but, that's the way you would explain how societies were broken up based on their religious, um, the way their religion hierarchy was, right? Um, or they kind of mirrored each other almost. Yeah, they mirrored each other, yeah, that's right. In, in religion, we always say actually that it's the most symbolic of all institutions within society. Uh, I really believe that now that religion is a human condition. I don't, you know, that is actually that we all, because that we're all religious to a, to a large extent, because uh, not even to a certain extent, but to a large extent, in the sense that we're all, at all times, are assigning, just the, the fact of assigning meaning to stuff makes us religion, we're religious, you know, and, and uh, that is, well, in the sense, actually, that you see religion is basically meaning with power, you know, that is actually power that drives you to do stuff that you wouldn't do otherwise, you know, meaning, meaning that, in the sense, actually, uh, I don't know, if some, a pair of jeans, you know, for all of a sudden it's quite, I don't know, prestigious, let's say. You know, and we it costs like two, three hundred dollars. You know, you can buy another one at the Gap, or perhaps <laughs> actually Old Navy for twenty-five. But maybe so you're gonna work for hours in order to get that one, just because meaning. There's meaning, you know. Uh, You'll be uh -huh. looked at differently by people. You'll so be treated differently. Yeah, You'll be allowed into places. And that's what religion is basically: is meaning that has power. You know, it's a meaning in, you know, certain. So I guess you can say consumerism is sort of like a religion as well, Well, right? that's actually, yeah, and uh, my favorite uh, social scientist, Max Weber, uh -huh. is the one who analyzed, uh, in a way, at least analyzed our behavior in modern capitalist societies as actually being, to a certain extent, a religious behavior. That is actually, work becomes an end in itself wow. rather than working in order to I don't know, to survive let's say, right. you know, that is actually today you know, an individual with good work ethics and so on defines actually a, you know, we, we look at that as as I don't know, as, as, as similar to actually, or something that tells us about good personhood or good work ethics would be actually uh, characteristics of of a good individual and so on, but um, I don't know if you've ever heard, but there's that work, the Protestant ethic and the spirit of capitalism. I've heard of it, but I never really. Well, that Max Weber, and that was actually an incredible, brilliant mind, also with lots of problems and so on, but that individual actually you see in the uh, early 1900s, and he was actually doing what he was doing, he was actually responding, at least intellectually, you know, to the work of Marx. Marx actually had <clears throat> initially 
stated, argued for the fact that uh, everything, every social event has like an economic uh, connection. A, to a connection, it. yeah, an economic basis, let's say, you know. And but uh, and Weber, in a way, actually agree with that. You know, economics always actually such an important uh, institution, let's say, uh, in conditioning our behavior. However, at times, you know, at times we could see that meaning conditions our behavior, perhaps even more than economy. And he cites that case, well, there are other cases as well, so many, no, but he actually looks at the, the origins, you know, the early stages of capitalism. And how, at that time, he was, he had kind of like an encyclopedic mind. And actually with the knowledge of history at the time, early 1900s, he actually had an, a good, under, a solid understanding then of societies in India, China, uh, Europe, and I don't know other places as well. And the idea was actually that they were all more or less, you know, to a certain extent actually similar. Why was it that, or a similar stage, let's say, you know, in, in their economic structuring and so on, why is it that capitalism, you know, somehow actually originated and developed in Europe? And he looked at religion. He looked at, a, in a way, actually, the separation between Catholicism and Protestantism, which, uh, in a way, and that was a time of uh, uh, extreme anxiety, you know, in European mm -hmm. society for a variety of factors, but that was one of them. He cites, actually, several, uh, in a way, actually, influential, you know, uh, Protestants at the time, one of them being John Calvin, mm -hmm. and how actually the idea of salvation was key to everyone. But it was also a little bit of a, um, um, the all of a sudden, um, the rush of uh, scientific theories, wasn't it? Like, for instance, Newton the, uh, um, was one of them, also Galileo was one of them. Um, these people that started making um, society realize that the status quo or the what was commonly believed is not so much truth. That's, that's, no, no, that's true as well. There were actually a variety of factors, but it seems that that one of, of, of religion was one of them. In the sense, actually, what, what it is actually, the, you know, to make a long story short, it seems that the behavior uh, was... Uh, kind of prompted by the desire for salvation, a behavior that uh, went with a behavior typical of capitalism, which is actually frugality and uh, saving mm -hmm. and so on, and, and attempt in, in attempting to to achieve uh, you know economic success, you know by individuals, you know, and that I think created a, like self property too. Yeah, well, a but that created, you see, like a like an environment, social environment within which, little by little, an economic system like capitalism could uh, develop. But that seemed to have actually brought upon even more stress because actually, little by little, ideas on the individual rather than 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 a, rather than actually an individual being able to actually to achieve uh, social mobility. You know, came about, and that actually was 
Uh, that is, is uh, you see that the development of capitalism is seen as one of the major factors that uh, that was responsible for the witch craze. Yeah. So it's all, all the, so it's all quite fascinating. All this, no, but but again, actually, but uh, um, yeah, but Max Weber, he is there. Well, and then following actually this. You know this actually social development, capitalism, and so on. Mm -hmm. He he believes that then it became kind of like a religious goal, let's say, to become economically successful, to to show that work ethic. So much so, and now we don't even think of it as you know perhaps that connected to salvation. Right. But it's still, actually, we thrive for that behavior, which yeah, is. That's true. To us, it's economic, but in essence, you know, it's religion because actually we play so much, we put so much, assign so much meaning to it, and becomes actually the goal of our lives to be actually a good worker, rather than just to, you know, I just want to make money to survive. I can get away with whatever I will do it and so on. No? Uh, wow, I never really looked at. I've never way. looked at it that way. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, really no. And, and yeah, and, and so. Yeah, so so well, uh, in a way, actually, that's that's why religion could be so many things, you know, rather than just, you know, the gods or the spirit yeah, beings or the belief in something. Yeah, so then we we all engage into some type of, you know, behavior. Here and there, we're gonna toss a coin, you know, to make a decision, either to help us decide <laughs> about something, and somehow actually we're unable to to make a decision, but the coin seems to have some power that will help us, you know, arrive at the right decision. Yeah, you're giving it up to, uh, I guess, a higher power. Well, yeah, it's, it's <laughs> a power, it's a power. Yeah, it's without a power. any consciousness then, yeah. you know, not like a god, let's say, or, but without any consciousness, but still a power. Kind of like, I don't know, there's all these ideas of karma, reincarnation, and so on, that... You know, their validity is not necessarily what is questioned, but what is what is actually what is obvious is that all those be, all those ideas were, to a certain extent, they worked as political ideas. You know, and like in, you know, I, I don't know up to again without questioning the validity. Whoever actually could, you know, anyone can believe in whatever they want to believe, but spiritual purity. <coughs> Reincarnation, karma—they were the basic uh, elements of political ideology that conditioned the behavior of people and the acceptance of the caste system, you know, in traditional Southeast Asian society mm -hmm. of India. You know, that is actually—you're familiar with the caste system, yes. no? Yeah. And well, people actually of high spiritual purity will be reincarnated into the higher castes, and those actually are with. Of the lowest would be actually in the lower or even outside of the caste system. The untouchables. The untouchables, for example. No, and actually, and therefore, because of their low level of purity, they will be actually, in a way, actually confined to, to, to engage in in very in in dirty jobs. You know, and that right. is actually in disposing of the dead, cleaning latrines, and things like that. While the others will be the ones actually with access to power, land, and everything else. And well, and three uh, three basic ideas condition 
Oh, I mean, not condition, but three basic ideas supported that system of inequality. One was um, uh, spiritual purity, mm-hmm. you know, that is like you, those with highest purity who go to the highest caste. Another one was reincarnation, you know, that is actually individuals will be, uh, you could explain that distribution in our society to those different castes according to reincarnation. You know, again, actually, the, the you know, uh, the, 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 the most pure spirits would go, actually, would be in the, you know, in the higher caste and so on. But then karma played a, a huge, actually, role there. Because uh, karma was the belief that, uh, you know, a, a bad action today would correspond to, you know, some problem in, or some, some reaction, let's say, in a future lifetime. And karma applied to those of all castes, but let's say one of the lower castes actually engaging in activities that corresponded to individuals in the higher caste. You know, that was a bad karma. That would actually elicit a reaction by which those in the those who perform that, let's say who, who engage in those activities which then correspond to their status, would come back reincarnated in a lower life form, like an animal or an insect. You know, so this was a system of ideas that, I don't know, that conditioned people to accept that system of inequality. So it was probably not intentional that they, that it just ended up being political, right? I mean, I'm pretty sure these people were just thinking this and they were just, you know, breaking down their own philosophy and it slowly became into this political system. It is actually, well, all those beliefs and stuff, let's say, at least beliefs in karma, spiritual purity, and so on, they are actually in the sacred books, you know? Mm. So, yeah, 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 it's not necessarily the case you say that some people sat down, the elite, and say, okay, let's figure out. Let's, <laughs> no, it's something that culture, you know. Some people just, might actually it's believe the whole, that, though. <laughs> well, you know, yeah. most probably, it's, all these ideas, you know, are part of the whole culture, you know, little by little, we accept, you know, Not not necessarily ideas, but we accept actually norms, values, but they're they're result from our history in a certain way, no? Proposed by some, but actually they make sense, they don't make sense, and things like that. Here in the in the United States, we have actually another one, no? The the American Dream that would be actually a religious idea as well, no? Actually, we take it to be actually a very concrete, secular <laughs> vision, but it's based on premises which are so irrealistic. Right. You know, like meritocracy. Yeah, it works up to a certain extent, but then the, the capacity to control the circumstances surrounding our lives. It's very That's limited. Very, yeah. And then in individual freedom, you know, and also it's based on the basic idea of, um, you know, unlimited good there's unlimited resources right you know if you're gonna succeed if you're gonna succeed and you're gonna succeed to certain extent actually big time by having actually a big house couple cars yeah and almost as if there's unlimited amounts of money that i think i think the system is reliant on there being a lot of unlimited resources based on people there has to be there has to be failure than success otherwise the system won't work yeah and so but the american dream is there you see and we all you ask perhaps every single individual and they have the hope that they can make it 
Right. Uh, when actually it's only a few that make it. But that hope, and but these ideas, what I'm saying, you see, they end up being, they're not based on concrete realities. And that makes them, in my eyes, actually very much religious ideas. You know, we place a lot of meaning on them, you know, and they become actually sacred, you know, than hmm. itself. I never really Absolutely. thought of it that way. I always thought it was, well, maybe because, not that I, well, because I'm not religious. Even mm-hmm. though we, we did, uh, me and Nick, we used to be very religious back in high school. Incredibly religious. Incredibly. Yes. Even I was going to go be a priest um, wow. in, um, in Ohio. Then I came back, totally, totally changed. And I said, no, I, I didn't. I actually went over there and... Um, it was a super religious Catholic uh, um, college in, in Ohio. Franciscan University. Franciscan University. Mm-hmm. And I thought being there would make me more inspirational or more inspired to become a priest. And no, it did not. <laughs> it was actually, it the totally opposite. backfired. And we, um, um, so, well, I don't know. I'm losing point, but... Uh, I'm not very religious, but I mean, I look at these ideas and I'm, and I see that uh, it just it's bullshit to me, kind of, you know, sort of like. Um, well, it's all symbolic, you see. Um, like we, if you try to actually establish historical accuracy, you know, to to any myth for that matter, to any religious statement, you cannot. Uh, it really actually addresses us, you know, deeply, emotionally. Uh, you know, that it, it, into what, it can, let's say, uh, imagine, for example, a 4th of July ceremony, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't know, perhaps you have your ideas, you're unsatisfied with the government, perhaps with actually the administration, perhaps not, whatever, but after that ceremony, you feel more American. Right. You know, and what changed? Perhaps nothing, but it just, you know, that celebration and so on really touched you deeply, you know, and and so on, and the singing of the national anthem and things like that, you know, they really touch us deeply, and therefore, actually, you, they're all actually, you see, the function of all this is to, in a way, actually reaffirm that solidarity, social right. solidarity that we have. So, yeah, so if we started thinking, you know, of... <laughs> Literally, you know, of whatever is stated in, I don't know, in sacred books, it's kind of like rough, you know? Yeah. Uh, they're supposed to, those are supposed to be kind of like messages that at one point actually, revelations that at one point will make sense, but emotionally rather than literally, intellectually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The thing is, uh, Christianity is, uh, in general, including Catholicism, let's say, that's it. Uh, so you, you must know quite a bit about the Bible, no? If you went to a religious school. Yeah, we uh, well, we studied. Uh, well, I studied a lot of um, apologetics, and from there I started studying theology. Okay. And I, I brought myself really heavily in theology, and I I just loved it. Um, and then I started learning about philosophy. Yeah, that's um, that turns everything around. Yeah, and then I realized that. Um, well, I felt that philosophy can only take you so far, and I was wondering why it, it can only it only goes up to a certain point and then it kind of draws back. 
sort of like a like a tree. I mean, you go up, you have your foundation, but for some reason, philosophy just wouldn't branch out. And I, I realized that um, theology, you could just take it almost anywhere. And I wanted to understand the difference. Um, and uh, where, I actually, where, where would you like to get? Like you say, actually, philosophy, there was a point you know, where you couldn't actually... Well, I felt like philosophy just kept on going in a circle. And technically, you can argue both ways, and mm -hmm. you technically do mm -hmm. end up in a circle. Um, well, philosophy is not just one thing. There's a lot of different philosophies, but they're all limited in, in their own respect. Yeah, exactly. And But you can also create and break it down and create and break it down. But right. but once it started going into religion, then, it, then there's this huge separation. And in any kind of religion. It doesn't have to be mm -hmm. Catholic or anything. And so when I noticed that, I'm like, well, why is there the, this separation when philosophy is so fundamental and it's so rational? Um, and when I looked at theology, it used the same rational principles as philosophy. But then I finally understood after reading um, Introduction to Christianity by uh, Cardinal Ratzinger, who was later Pope Benedict, mm -hmm. um, that his, in, in the first, I forgot, first three chapters somewhere, he clearly identifies it as faith. Yeah. The separation is faith. That you, <laughs> you take philosophy all the way to, to, to its extreme, and then you have to take a leap of faith mm -hmm. into yeah, theology. And, and that's the true separation. That's what separates everything. Because there's no evidence. There's no evidence to support faith, but once you have it, you can take it anywhere. But you can attribute faith to anything, and I think that's where it really kind of falls. Where yeah, falls that's through. kind of where I'm like, ah. Because if you apply faith to any philosophy, then you can take it anywhere as well. Well, yeah. Uh, well, the way I always I break it down, it's like, it's, it's like having a Lego set. You start <laughs> off with the first blocks, which is faith, mm -hmm. and then from that faith, you add more blocks, and you make this huge, beautiful um, um, building or whatever, and then you just drop the faith off and it all falls apart, you know? And I kind of, I it, it might sound a little bit too cynical, but I kind of feel like it's that, it, well, maybe I'm oversimplifying it, but I feel like it's that, um, it's that one piece that I, I just can't rationalize. Well, the thing, yeah, and use it to rationalize, but the thing is, um, I believe that we are really more symbolic and by that I mean actually faith driven individuals than rational individuals. I think we use rationality in the sense I go and I don't know pay for something in the market and I count the change so I'm use you know uh -huh. uh, very very uh, straight math let's say. But oh I go have an accident for example and look at my tire oh my tire is low in air, you know, I know I have to put air whatever, very, very rational empirical. So but on a daily basis, you know, I'm moved by, I think we all are, by, by really by, by meaning, by emotion, by faith to a certain extent. And yeah, in the so. sense that, look, if I look at evolution through natural selection, more or less, you know, uh -huh. okay, evolution through natural selection tells us that, uh, well, the purpose of life, biology says, is actually reproduction. You know, the, the purpose of life is reproductive success. Life is reproduction, and the purpose of life is reproductive success. Really, the purpose of life, reproductive success, and 
that that in a way doesn't make it to me to to go on through my life to carry out my you know my daily life with my family and so on and I could go then you know in, in, in evolution through natural selection would actually explain you know accurately why we're here and so on or, or in a way why perhaps actually we you know we Exist. We exist. We, yeah, in a way, actually, why exist, perhaps. but Or how we got here. Or why we, we are where we are right now. Yeah. But it doesn't explain but, the purpose behind our lives today. At well, all. according to them, it's reproductive success, but really, but I don't think so. Because if I go, if I'm going to apply that, I'm going to go and kill actually somebody <laughs> and. You know, that new, those new neighbors, I right. like the wife, you know, I'm going to to engage in actually reproductive success. I'm going right. to go to the judge and say my action was driven by actually, by that purpose. You know, I wanted to spread <laughs> my, all these I, think, I, I, think I wanted to actually spread my genetic material as much as possible into the next generation. So I'm just, you know, doing it the best way I can. You know? I think the existence of contraception completely contradicts that, that theory. But, yeah, that's true. You know? But then actually, instead, you see, uh, it makes a lot more sense, you know, for, I don't know, you know, just feelings, concepts such as patriotism, friendship, uh, love, and stuff like that, to go through every daily life. So I prefer to... I'm very much actually, I understand science very well and so on, and I think that I've been throughout my life actually, and but you know, you, what, what I in a way I was discussing before doesn't necessarily support this, but I've been for a long time actually, uh, that is actually scientifically driven, let's say, mm -hmm. you know, but, uh, but I really think that we, we need to recognize that we are individuals actually driven by faith, emotion, and therefore actually the way in which we explain what we are is through symbols in a symbolic manner. Uh, religions do that. You know, and religions do that, you know, appropriately for a particular group of people, for other group of people, and so on. We say now Christianity doesn't perhaps actually satisfy our, you know. Well, it doesn't satisfy everybody. And yeah, I, but, I, I but, acknowledge that. Yeah, like, but, but, uh, but so many things that have changed. Christianity also is not Christianity actually it 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 changes with the passage of time. You know, the group that I studied that was, according to them, a version of Christianity. To them, it was the most authentic type of Christianity. You know, mm -hmm. again, it was actually. I was telling you guys before. You no, know, actually, they engage in spirit possession and healings and things like that. But, but again. Uh, I think that religions play such an incredible role in, a fundamental role in, in us being human and in societies actually establishing, you know, a, I don't know, solidarity, you know, and cohesion and things like that. Religions are, 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 are just something we cannot do without. So what do you think spawned, do you think the creativity for our own survival spawned religion or some, this faith-based um, Well, um, if we look at it actually empirically, yeah, it seems that perhaps actually the fact that we have to deal with particular environments that require us to think beyond the here and now, you know, that would be actually the most logical explanation, no? That led us to an understanding, you know, or to a, to an, a need to actually to 
to to to you know I to prepare for tomorrow. Right. I don't know. Perhaps prepare with to to have resources of all the types for tomorrow, and that actually perhaps led us to again think of you know beyond the here and now. The resources are always there. You know, all you need to go is go and kill something or pick <laughs> something from a tree, whatever. Then you know perhaps that imagination, let's say, would have been there. But uh, but uh, the way to empirically explain it, let's say, would be that the environment conditions us to to be ready for 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 tomorrow. You know, and, and therefore, actually, we started. You know, that prompted actually imagination, and then. The tomorrow could be transformed into the actual life, could be transformed into, I, I don't know, so many ideas. You know, all of a sudden, actually, we start incorporating the whole cosmos into our existence, you know? Right. But again, actually, that's empirically looking, but uh, you see, I don't think that we can survive with that. Mm. Many say we do, but I, I don't... Everybody, no matter how atheist they are, they will actually follow a moral code. Okay. Yeah. And the moral code, if you think about it, fine. You know, yeah, we get <laughs> along, we can actually survive with it, we can whatever. But at times there's always gonna be a time when that moral code is in your way. You know? Where you conflict and you're Yeah, there's a little in something that in I wanna area. obtain which would help my existence, you know, it goes against uh, in a, you know, something actually uh, you know, a very much that that I need to get in order to help my existence goes again actually that morality code, and most probably actually I'm not going to engage in that. Perhaps it's actually I don't know stealing some money, killing some people, some doing something, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. And we're going to be actually that moral code is going to be more powerful than our biological needs, mm-hmm. and and so therefore the moral code becomes actually a religion to a certain extent. Yeah. I don't know. That's well. I mean, I guess. Well, I think people look at people look at uh, atheism is, or, or they they look at religion as specifically believing in a, a in higher a entity of, or yeah. something. Exactly, because the way you explain it, it totally shatters the, many Convent, the conventional the conventional definition ways, of religion. Uh, exactly, and why people are atheist or why people are anti. Well, we all actually dissatisfied with one big religion or another. You know. Yeah. So we well, always tell that to certain cults, you know, yeah. or like yeah. fundamentalists. Yeah. But I mean, uh, what was I gonna? I mean, because you can't really going back to what you were saying. You know, um, we have this moral code, and sometimes it conflicts with some situations. Sometimes we find ourselves in situations where we have this moral code, this whole religion based that you might have followed for years, even decades, and. And when you're finally put in this situation of just high pressure, you really can't say what you're going to do. Even with the moral code, I mean, sometimes you become um, very aggressive or, or um, primal, I guess. And other times you are reluctant to hold on to your moral code. It, I guess it depends how well, far you can take I would take say somebody. that for most of us, let's say, actually, to, to go and kill someone, it's not just that we say, well, it's... According to society, it's wrong. I don't want to do it because I'm going to go to jail. But we are... It's something that... It's hard for us to do. Right. It's hard for us because we just see it as something wrong to do. Mm-hmm. You know? Uh, 
torturing someone or whatever, you know. Which is even actually at times, I don't know, taking a wallet that's been left somewhere. Right. You know, we we see that I don't know, it would actually affect us, perhaps if we take it we will be uh, you know, conflicted and perhaps we can I don't know, even function. Right. And well that, you know, uh, is because actually there's a moral code that is, you know, that is stronger, you know. It provides actually for a system of faith, you know, in a particular system, which actually is built upon the moral code and so on, no? But that's what makes a society possible, and but that becomes your religion, you know, because you're, you see that moral code, think about this, is, you know, our, our, in a way, guidelines to behavior that have so much power over and they are symbolic because actually they're not necessarily at all times built on concrete, you know. Explanation. Yeah, and yeah. therefore actually, and that's, that's definition. So that's religion. That's in a way the basic idea of religion. The religion actually, you know, are, you know, we have symbolic entities, you know, it could be actually entities with consciousness, could be actually forces and so on, but that have power. You know, have power over you. That is, actually, power means that you're going to do something. Right. That's what power means. You know, you're going to do something otherwise you wouldn't do. Sincerely, I would be very much benefited by right now running into a million dollars. Sincerely, you know, house payments, <laughs> house payments, still student loan payments and stuff. I'm just buried with payments, you know. Uh-huh. Sometimes, actually, it's hard to function. It would be really great if I could run into a million, not only run, but that run into a million could be actually perhaps, I don't know, robbing or something. But you know, I would feel so bad. Yeah. You know, because notice it, I could think, but that benefit me, would benefit me, but you know, perhaps actually a person, a rich person who I managed to steal that from, one no, whatever, but still, you know, it's wrong. But that wrong and right, you know, they're just, you know, cultural, Inventions, the, the right? Yeah, it's very subjective. It's completely yeah. So, so, so that's religion. Well, yeah. Coming from, I mean, of course, when I when me and Nick were really religious, everything was black and white, you know. And over the past year since high school, I mean, I don't know how you feel about it, but I've totally noticed, man, there is so much gray. Everything mm-hmm. is so mm-hmm. subjective, and yeah. and when people tell me. Um, you know that their opinions conflict with mine. I'm like, well, it's fine. Yeah, that's good. And they get so mad. Yeah, it was so hard before. Like, no, like I'm right, or or not necessarily or that I'm right. Or like that. <laughs> exactly, or not even that. I mean, because uh, not even that. Sometimes I it was that it was that no my opinion needs to trump your opinion it doesn't matter that i'm right you mm-hmm. know or sometimes i mean for me i would just i would feel bad for people because i felt like i knew what the route to salvation was and they didn't mm-hmm. and i would pity them or i would yeah, i would try to help them i would think that me trying to convince them that my the things i believed in would somehow benefit them in mm-hmm. some way and i would be mm-hmm. helping them achieve some sort of it was a misplaced sense of superiority absolutely and we uh, yeah, it kind of did feel like we knew something that nobody else knew, mm-hmm. and and we needed to tell people. And when people disagreed with us, we just pitied them. Yeah. Um, 
even if we didn't mean to. Which is sad. Yeah, which is sad because now that I think about it, I'm like, man, what I, I was so. Well, I still am. A you dude. lost a chance. For <laughs> but uh, lost a chance for so many relationships, maybe. Right? It's well that you know. I also well because I've been through a lot of things since then, and a lot of, and I've been put in situations where I'm like, and I really, where it it does conflict with my moral code, mm-hmm. or sometimes my moral code needed to change. But that's great to have a moral code. You see, it's yeah. Uh, that's what. What is Homo sapiens really? Is Homo sapiens just that, you know, the, I don't know, the flesh and bones, whatever that we, and that we, in a way, actually explain in physical anthropology on the basis of, you know, certain characteristics of the skull and body and so on? Or is Homo sapiens actually what you're indicating there? You see, all that, you know, flesh and bones, you know, all those characteristics, plus, you know, morality and this and that, you know, which, you know, make for it. That's what actually really defines a person. You know, well, an individual actually, uh, otherwise we would be a psychopath, you see? Yeah. Without, you know, just guided by your own self Well, there's Dexter. Dexter has his own... Uh, oh, the, the, the serial <laughs> The serial killer. Yeah, yeah. yeah you he see, has his own moral codes. In a way, in, in, our, in moral codes, in a way of societies, no, yeah, moral codes, but ideas, in, in, you know, and very but. At the same time, actually, there's so many overlaps and so on. That's a beauty in anthropology, you know, and, and attempting to look at all these and so on. And yeah, I know. Uh, religion, uh, one thing, though, you know, uh, we are secular, supposedly, here. Right. We're looking at morality. Well, no, that's not religious. We're looking at American dream. Well, then it's not religious. However, you see, that discourse is kind of like a continuation of the discourse that you know, it's a way of, of, of establishing that, you know, we, they dichotomy. Have you ever heard of us versus them? Yes. Or we, we think, for example, we are rational, we are this and that, and so on, secular. We are, I don't know, very much guided by a scientific perspective, while modern, while the others are traditional, are mystic, guided by religion, they're religious fanatics. You see, so it's a way of actually distinguishes distinguishing us from them but you know so I think the others are just based on religious fanatics based on well, ancient scriptures whatever uh, colonialism right I yeah, mean it's, whenever it's, they went it's a legacy it's a continuation of colonialism you know but really uh, we are just as religious as anyone else you know our religion again actually could be seen in our behavior towards work you see our behaviors towards money, plus actually all the moral rules, the laws that we have and so on that, you know, thou shalt not kill, perhaps actually the first religious law, which right. is actually the first law in every actually, you know... A, Culture, pretty much. Yeah, in, in every society, you know, and, and so on. But that's all basically, it's a way of being religious. Maybe we, we don't include there the you know, the big God or whatever, they are the spirits conditioning this and that, but but uh, still, actually, we behave towards so many, you know, those ideas as if they were religious. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, it's all part of the evolution where before we didn't understand what things were, so we had polytheistic societies where we would say, you know, there's the God of fire, there's the God of daytime, yeah, there's nighttime, yeah. the God of sleep, 
And then it evolved into monotheism, where we just attributed everything to just one God. And now I think, now that we have science and we're proving, you know, we, we're giving, we, we have actual me evidence, evidence-driven meaning behind the things and why things happen. And we're starting to understand the way that the universe works in the world around us, at least on the physical scale. Um, religion is evolving into a much greater concept, which is, I think, what you Hopefully exactly it does, right yeah. Now. I wrote that in my dissertation, you know. Uh, my, my understanding of religion and things like that. Uh, I have it, it's online, no? That is actually, you know, there's ProQuest, is, 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 you know, that would be the publishing thing online. And I know it's actually that. Yeah, in a sense, actually, I would. The idea is there to write a, in a way, to write a book. Uh, they told me actually it's really so well written and so on. You should actually attempt to. But again, I'm all, also also pushed now by writing songs and things like that. <laughs> no, what I noticed is actually that, you know, there's been actually like last month there were actually four downloads. This month, I think five downloads. So people here and there are downloading it. You know, they have Do you to have pay. your own website? Do I have mine? Yeah. I'm building it. You're building you yeah. should you should totally put it up there. Yeah. You know, I don't know Absolutely. if I have if I have the if I can, if I have the copy that is if I wrote a book or whatever, I could publish any section of it and that would be actually I have yeah, the, the rights to it. But yeah. I think yeah. the rights right now are held by I don't know if online I could actually. Well, if you want, you can give us a link and we can post it on our blog. And that way all our bloggers can... Yeah, yeah. I could find out whether that's possible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay. Okay? Um, Because still there's the intention of of doing the the book and so on. The thing is, I think I'm very much of a generalist and I like to... I like to actually read from... Do everything as much as I can and read from everywhere. You know, I... To be a to get your PhD forces you to become actually very very much to narrow your focus, you know, into actually one certain little aspect of whatever that you're studying, and, and then everything that you read, you know, uh, very much actually relates to that. But I, yeah. but I, I, I'm much more of a generalist. I like to rather than actually be very good at one thing, I prefer to be kind of a mediocre in but but then I wanted to ask you, you know, I wanted to ask you, you guys were interested, actually very interested, it seems, in Christianity, no? Uh, At some point, yeah. Which, I mean, which is the most important section for a Christian of the Bible? If you had to, you know what, actually, I just need to read a little section or I just have time for, for a little go, whatever, you just want to discuss <laughs> someone about what, what is the most important for a Christian? The Gospels. In the Bible, I'd say the Gospels. Uh, I'd that say would the be actually. Gospel, I think the Gospels are Christianity. I like uh, for Christianity. I for prefer Christianity. John. The Gospel so, okay, of John. But so, the Gospels overall are the most important. So the Gospels yeah. are the sections that talk about Jesus specifically. Yeah. Specifically, yeah. Okay, so this and is each thing. one. Each one talks about because um, the Gospels were actually letters to different um, um, genres or group and different um, cultures. And so Matthew was actually writing to, like, the Jews. Right. Um, John was writing, I believe, the, the, the Romans and something like that. So they're, they're all talking about the same thing, but they're connecting it and addressing it in a different perspective. Okay. And which is kind of important. So they, but they all talk about Jesus. Important. Yeah. Now, and can you explain me in, in a couple sentences 
what did Jesus do? What, what did he do? Not much. No, no. But what did he do overall? What was his role there? Uh, what did he address? What issue did he address? Um, the, 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 way that the, the way that Judaism was functioning, he corrected it, right? Overall, he came and he corrected the way that Judaism functioned and the way that um, they were supposed to establish a relationship with God and he kind of redefined specifically what God wanted and how they should attribute that to their lives and he did it through parables yeah he did it through parables did he do it also through action through action well yeah he yeah. well what did he do well he what he helped well supposedly he helped cure like the lepers okay. and he raised people from the dead and he, he walked around basically he just talked basically what spoke. you did in uh, Bolivia that's basically what he did. Kind of like Jesus. Well, he walked around and begged for food. No, no, no. No, no, no. I didn't want to be offensive. No, no, no. What I'm trying to say is this. Because I read, at one point in time, I remember I read the whole Bible, you know, but of course it's such a huge thing to read now. But I only read it once. But I look at it, and it seems that Jesus kind of like uh, got into the uh, the problem uh, you know, at the time when the Romans were the empire, the colonizing empire at the time. No? Yes. Yeah. And they actually colonized that area among so many, but that area too. And it seems actually that the leaders of that area, they were kind of like rubbing elbows with the Romans to a certain extent. No? Yeah, yeah, they were having problems with the Pharisees and the religious leaders at the time because but Herod Herod was in Caesar's pocket wasn't he mm, yeah but Herod wasn't really respected by but the Pharisees was, well no but I mean he was the king of he was considered the king of Judaism at the time right yeah but they, <laughs> there was a lot of political issues that were going on where the the Pharisees wanted control and and they that they were butting heads with the Romans and the Romans were getting pissed off because they didn't really like this area but they, it was part of their land that they had to control it. Um, and then all of a sudden, this um, this Jewish guy out of nowhere, Carpenter, comes out of, and says, well, the Pharisees are doing it all wrong. And so um, the Pharisees didn't like that, of course, because they felt that Jesus was trying to destroy their hierarchy. And so they went to the Romans and said, well, we'll be good with you guys if you destroy this this Jew. And so the Romans um, came in, um, I guess, politically and, 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 and crucified Jesus, thinking so, that that well, would first they said, that's not our problem. Go yeah, they to said Herod, and they gave him to Herod, and Herod said, that's not my problem. Go talk to the Romans. And yeah. Then. So it seems then, because in the sense, if you want to, usually attempts at com conversion deal with, well, this is the Son of God, if you don't do whatever, if you don't believe in this, you're going to go to hell, whatever. But let's say a more intellectual you know, an approach would be actually what you were telling me. You're telling me the story, let's say. Not yeah. necessarily attempt at conversion, but attempt at explaining. It seems then that Jesus kind of got kind of like it got involved mm -hmm. you know, in issues there, no? Got involved in issues, but they, it seems actually that the leaders of the area kind of like, uh, in a way, 
not wanting to deal with the problem, passed it to the Romans. Or, uh, so, but it seems that he got involved, let's say. Yeah. And he recruited a bunch of the losers of the time. And as well yeah. as her. So, okay, but it's a religion, it seems, I don't know, perhaps I'm simplifying it too much, but it seems to be actually a religion of involvement to a certain extent. No? Mm -hmm. There was an issue, so here comes this guy and gets involved and right. recruits or talks a lot about the poor or whatever, no? the, the, the losers, the, yeah. you know, prostitutes and this and sure. that. So, so that, that message to me there sounds beautiful. But it sounds like involvement. So it seems that if you think Martin Luther King, he got involved yeah. in addressing something wrong, you know? Mm -hmm. Then he, yeah. a social wrong problem. Martin, uh, Mahatma Gandhi also did. Yeah. You know, and, and so many. Che Guevara did, maybe employing a lot too much violence, but still he did. Mm -hmm. It seems that all those are Christians. And they really work with the poor, with, you know? They work with the. That's they, true. It's there not is. that they recruited the richest uh, corporate individuals, come, but but they recruited actually all the poor were following them. Even the letters. Uh, 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 yeah, he was for the poor. You know? Yeah, he was for the yeah, poor. So, so yeah, I mean, all the letters from after the Gospels um, in the New Testament, they're all they're all talking about well, you need to go out and do this. You need to go out and change this. You need to go. So it's it is a. So, it it's is a call a, to be proactive. It is a call to be so, proactive. And that's what, that's what I see in, you know, I, I don't know that much, let's say, about Hinduism and so on, but those at times actually seem more a religion of withdrawal rather than involvement, no? Well, I, I wouldn't say withdrawal. I would say it's, um, I guess, I guess society-wise, yeah, they're withdrawing They're themselves, withdrawing themselves and meditating or whatever. Inter, yeah, it's right. more internal looking and yeah, yeah but while, while Christianity is go in, go in, but go, go out in, and in, 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 I don't know, in recruiting some of the poor and stuff. If that's the most important message, why doesn't the church insist on that one and forgets mm -hmm. about the homosexuality, the whatever? That's why, a good question. Why not? You know, and forget about belief. Uh -huh. In the sense, actually, I. At least ideally, it's not that I'm. I would be afraid to get involved, you know, in many things. But ideally, I think I am a Christian, even though I don't. I don't believe at all in Jesus and God and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But I believe in in that message. Perhaps in that guy being a revolutionary or something like that, you know. But I think that there are so many Christians out there that that never stepped in church, don't believe in the Christian God, whatever. Doesn't matter. It's it, in the sense that they are. They, that they believe in that. Yeah, but they believe in that message, and they believe in Jesus. Doesn't it mean to try to carry out a message. Well, I think. Well, I think it, it. It. I think we can say we can ask that question now because of the globalization, the way our the, these past few generations have really expanded themselves and just gone out and and experienced life and realized that there's more outside of this building where you're supposed to be praying. I mean, I'm not very religious, I'm borderline atheist, but when it comes to this question, and I've asked this question myself before too, you know, it kind of seems like sometimes the most religious people are the ones that don't go to church and yeah. still call themselves Christians because they're the ones going out there and they're, 
I guess, living the words of, of and Jesus. That's, and that's exactly what you're supposed to do as a Christian, is you're supposed to live your faith. Because that means believing. Exactly. You're supposed you know, to, believe your, your actions are supposed to that's speak for faith. you. That's a That's right. So like Mother it, Teresa. It, what if Mother Teresa, in her deathbed, you know Mother Teresa? Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. It seems that she held a bunch of poor and Indian and so on, no? She dedicated her life to it. Basically, she could have had perhaps a much well, fun life perhaps a, in yeah, Europe, whatever, but she did. was a rich family, right? I, I, I don't know. Even that, if that's it, even, even more. Right. But what if in her deathbed she said, you know what? I love what I did, whatever. I love that message, and I have faith that that message does something for humanity, for me. However, I never believe in God, Jesus, and God, you know, Virgin Mary and the Immaculate Conception. That's, to me, that's actually like fairy tale. But I believe, is she still a Christian? I remember actually many Christians here in the crowd said, no. And I said, what, See, about, I, a, I think what I, about a hitman for the mob? <laughs> you know, that at the end of her death, we say, oh, I really regret everything I did, and I really forgive me my Jesus. They say, yeah, he, he's, but yeah, but he didn't do anything, you know? Right, yeah. So, well, I'm saying, I don't know, to me, faith means believing in a message, you know, and, and, and yeah, I, I don't know. So the no, I, are, I agree with you. I mean, I mean uh, it's a rough religion, uh, Christianity, kind I of like a religion why, of revolution or something, you know? I think that's why so many people are, are, are I wouldn't say that, because I, 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 I really do not like institutionalized religion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I... Admit to myself that religion has plays a huge role um, with a lot of people. People depend need it. People mm-hmm. depend on it. Um, so for for many people, that's the only way they they can think introspectively. Um, but especially now, I feel like most people take religion and they they take it secularly. They they take it mm-hmm. as their own and they morph it as. The, I know. The bumper sticker is, you know, cafeteria Christians or cafeteria Catholics, mm. where people pick and choose what they want to believe. But I think that's the way it should be done, because if you can internalize it, then you're making your moral code the way you were but, talking about earlier. For example, I didn't choose and pick. I even ask you guys, you know, which is the most important for mm-hmm. a Christian section of the Bible. You mm-hmm. tell me the gospel, the gospels. No? Yeah, just in and, general. Yeah. And so, therefore, actually. If, that message in the Gospels, you know, is seems to be one of involvement and acceptance of anyone, but, or not anyone, but uh, at least of, of, of people characterized by many things, you know, that are not necessarily embraced by most Christians, no? Well, most recently, this, this movement of um, secularity um, has been kind of threatening the institutionalized form of Christianity and... Because now, now Catholicism is losing money. Well, not losing money. It's always making money, but it, it it's not getting as much money ratio wise because people aren't going to church and people are, are doing their own thing. And other smaller religion, institutionalized religions are do, are the same thing is happening mm-hmm. for them. But what I'm realizing is that especially these past couple of generations, just in general, um, they it's all about customization. Um, they they customize everything for them for themselves the way they perceive things the gospels mm-hmm. um, a, a phone you know anything they customize it to their own belief system and the way they want to perceive it mm-hmm. and so they take that 
I guess, faith, and, and they live it, or they try to. You know, nobody's perfect, but they try to live that, that, that faith, that individual faith that, that they carry. And I think that that's interesting because um, it really says a lot about, about today's culture. About, um, it kind of gives hope to also about um, how people live their own lives. That you can't really statistically analyze religion anymore because people aren't going to the to the to the brick and mortar churches mm -hmm. anymore. The people mm -hmm. are taking it out into their own lives. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, yeah, I really, really agree with that. Yeah, yeah, I don't know, but it's uh, there's a lot to say, you know, about Christianity, and I, I like. I remember the the that time that we had of. Are you familiar with theology of liberation? Yeah. Liberation theology. Or liberation theology, you know, uh -huh. actually, that it, in a way that, uh, in a way, what, what happened in, in Latin America, you know, for, for uh, during the 70s, 80s, and so on. It really so, encouraged the, well, I mean, I, and, you know, I kind of feel bad for liberation theologists because they were kind of shunned by the church for oh, a while. Oh, they were excommunicated, most yeah. of them, no, actually, many of them, actually, from the... Catholic and church and so on, but when they were actually embracing the poor, let's say. Yeah. Well, because the whole thing was that, oh, they're supporting communism. and Well, I mean, communism is totally different. It's like a whole um, governmental system right. compared to the way you should just treat the poor and help each other out. Mm -hmm. um, there's also uh, liberation theology, and it also kind of enters into a political realm where it's very anti-colonialism. Mm -hmm, and yeah, anti-neo-colonialism um, and so forth. Yeah, because yeah, the, the, the history of Christianity is kind of like, history doesn't actually uh, favor Christianity that much. No, no it doesn't. Because they were actually <laughs> yeah. handmaiden of colonialism. No, they were always hand-in-hand. Hand, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all, all these world religions, you know, they're basically just, I don't know, justification for colonization and it's kind of, well, you're an anthropologist. I know we're, now I'm kind of switching it, but how many, how many different types of religion and tribes do you think were lost because of colonialism? Well, I, I don't know religions themselves, but let's say numbers. South, South America, numbers, they vary a lot, no? But some place, actually, the population of South America, 50 million more or less. Oh, wow. Others, what? I think, at, at <laughs> others, I think they go as high as 100 million before the arrival of the, at the time of the arrival of the Spanish, no? Wow. Uh, the Europeans. Uh, well, the, the, in a way, the attrition rates are like of 20 to 1 and sometimes 25 to 1. Out of each 20 individuals, one remained. Out of each 25, one remained. So there you have, out of each 100, you know, maybe five individuals actually survived. Wow. Each hundred, you know, so just, just do the math, you know. And it's 95% of 95% <laughs> were gone. Well, of course, actually, to a large extent, due to diseases. Yeah. You know, actually, the flus and colds and... What but they got it? jobs. And measles and stuff, <laughs> you know, chicken pox, those were actually did not exist in the New World. They had been very much actually transmitted from domestic animals, you know, domesticated animals to populations and, you know, in the old world. And then actually they were, through the passage of generations, let's say the immunities were developed and so on, a lot of people died then. 
But then when they brought him to the New World, you know, uh, that killed, that was actually explained, you know, the colonization of, of, of Mexico and the Aztec Empire, let's say, or the colonization of, of the Inca Empire, the most powerful, perhaps, you know, of all the Americas. But, um, but yeah, but how many religions? Well, actually, I don't know. Like they are, you have so many groups in a way. You know, right now, for example, in the Amazon basin, the Amazon tropical forest, mm -hmm. maybe there are 700 societies. Oh, wow. 700 societies? Societies of 700 religions, in a way, perhaps, you know, variations of, of, of similar ideas and so on, no? But they all have their ideas of creation. Each group has the idea of how they were created, and they have an idea of, of what the universe is about, you know, how many planes of existence, you know, and so on. So, uh, you know, there's so many, so many, so many. That's what I like about anthropology. So many different ways of looking at the world, you know. So many, and, and the thing is actually that so many different perspectives, yeah. you know. <clears throat> Our perspective is one. You know, I, I, there's a great book. If you guys want to read something mm -hmm. totally exciting, uh, is, um, what was it? Worlds of Sense. Worlds of Sense? Sense. Sense. S-E-N-S-E. S-E-N-S-E. Worlds of Sense. It's a, a, the title there attempts to actually uh, challenge the term worldview. Mm. You know, worldview is actually our, our sense of reality is established by the sense of sight, view. You right. Know? And here the idea is actually that what about all the other senses? No, and... And uh, and that that for example, there, there's so much in that book. I, I I read it so many years ago, but still, uh, um, for example, in that book, it tells us that let's say actually a term uh, such as a well, you you well, you took anthropology of religion, but you see in, in anthropology one, and then mainly actually in the classic language and culture, which Professor Waters here. Uh, uh, teaches, uh, you know, there's a, a topic within linguistic, or let's say actually a, a, a specialization within linguistic that is referred to as ethnolinguistics, you know, that is actually you attempt as an ethnolinguist to understand actually not necessarily just the language that people use, let's say particular society, but you try to understand uh, the meaning of what they say, how that correlates to aspects of the environment, how people relate to each other and so on, mm -hmm. and uh, and there's a, a hypothesis actually proposed by anthropologists uh, many years ago that uh, it's called the Sapir-Whorf hypothesis, the individual Sapir-Whorf, that a uh, that states that the the language that we speak determines or conditions our sense of reality. Our perception of reality. Oh, yeah. The language that we speak determines our perception of reality. So again, um, uh, an example that I give students, uh, you know, regarding this, uh, has to do with our the fact that in in all our discourse, you know, which includes everything actually, conversations, lectures, movies books that we read and so on, mm -hmm. there's always an emphasis on the sense of sight, you know? Uh, and, and that's in this book, uh, you know? Uh, 
uh, worse of sense. Uh, we think of the world that the sense of sight is just, I don't know, it's emphasized by also size to the same extent. But she actually, the, 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 the author of that book, indicates that uh, before the Enlightenment, before the 1700s, you didn't use the term, you're bright, you're brilliant, in reference to intelligence, for example. You know, nowadays actually say, wow, you're bright, you know, you're brilliant. Uh, but if you think about it, actually those terms refer to the sense of sight, you see. Before, terms used were like, you're sharp. Right. That relates to the sense of touch more, you know. And she, she, the author also indicates that actually before the Enlightenment, for example, the, and this actually is part of our discourse too, actually, our, you know, the way in which we view or we perceive beauty and so on. The, the, the purpose of gardens before was mainly actually for the aroma. Gardens were usually actually covered by a wall, with a wall, by a wall, a hidden by a wall. Huh. And it was the aroma, you know, of the gardens that was important. You know, the aroma actually provided by the flowers and stuff. Yeah. Nowadays is the beauty. You know, that is actually the aesthetical visual beauty that we're concerned with regarding gardens. You know, so I all, in all aspects of our, you know, uh, discourse, communication, and so on, we actually emphasize the sense of sight. So, you know? why, so do they ever explain uh, why it kind of changed? Well, because actually of the little by little emphasis on empirical observation. You see, the scientific a perspective uh, came okay. into, in a way, actually came very strong then. And that emphasis in scientific perspective was actually what very much actually conditioned our emphasis in the sense of sight. And, and so, like I said, our whole discourse, which includes language and every form of communication, leads us to per perceive of reality as if determined by the sense of sight, you know? We even say, actually, or I don't know, whenever we look at an atom, for example, no, we, we don't know that. We haven't seen an atom. We'll never see it. Most, but we have an idea of what it's like by, you know, by the little, actually, model. Mm -hmm. right? You see the, yeah. the nucleus, let's say, and then you have the electrons orbiting around it. Yeah, but an atom is not, is known or is, could be perceived also, and more, perhaps actually even more, more uh, accurately by vibrations, you know, but we actually, all, everything has to be actually visual, you know, and, and that, in a sense, we are conditioned, again, without even realizing, let's say, by, by perceiving, by assessing reality, you know, through the sense of vision, but that's, in this book, actually, they say that it's, uh, that conditioning came about, you know, due to uh, that little by little emphasis on that scientific perspective. That's fascinating. So, again, there we have actually one cultural worldview or understanding of reality, let's say, you know, which is the Western or, you know, European and so on. But so many others from other societies that they perceive reality a bit differently, you know. We're all, of course, actually, for all of us, you know, the sense of sight, you know, evolutionary has been extremely important, but still others perceive the world so differently, you know, quite differently, or a bit differently, and, and that, that to me is so creative, you know, yeah. And, and yeah, so all those ways of perceiving, 
you see uh, what our societies are destroyed you know being lost yeah that's true yeah. and it's just being replaced by um, you know something else or? that's why I'm so against globalization because globalization I was going to ask you about that I know, <laughs> no, I'm so much against it because globalization basically you see attempts to impose one perspective all over the world and that perspective is the western perspective yeah because the way it stands today is that uh, you know there's actually everybody should attempt to follow a scientific perspective uh, we should actually economically work in a way that you know we pro we contribute to the world market we should participate in the world market rather than engaging just self-subsistence right we should uh, be very individualistic you know place importance you see in the individual we have the declaration of human rights which is a beautiful document I tear every time I read it but it applies to Western societies it doesn't necessarily apply to so many societies which are you know organized according to kinship relations you know actually where that bring together huge social groups uh, then there also democracy which I love but I don't think actually that it applies to every society of the world, you know. Yeah. But so, in so many other things, you know, and in all these, you see, uh, tend to then structure one perspective, and 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 perhaps, hopefully not, actually lead to the destruction of the others, or otherwise the transformation of the others into something. That well, there are some articles. Well, there are some like articles that. Um, that emphasize the importance of deglobalization, where um, they need to, and it, and it mainly um, is just looking at um, the economic and the um, governmental political influences that globalization brings. Exactly what you were talking yeah. about right now. However, it also emphasizes the globalization of of cultures so much as um, the interaction of of trying to find learn about each other um, and constantly share ideas among cultures but not not impose the economic sanctions or economic policies and political um, well I mean just just look at the United States I mean it's it's sort of like it's forcing globalization at least through the Middle East around the world we have how many uh, base stations around the world oh, no, how many yeah. wars have we since the 70s, 60s, since the 60s, we've been imposing our own um, political um, view and economic view around the world. Before Vietnam. actually, it was, uh, well, even a little before, but before actually, we are Europeans, British, French, yeah. and, you know, and Germans. There's a, lot, there's a lot I'm seeing um, with globalization um, today um, and neoliberalism, um, global neoliberalism. Um, as to neo-colonialism, they're very parallel, very similar. Whereas, in the text of, of introduction to cultural anthropology, they call that neo-colonialism. Neo-colonialism. Neo-colonialism today. They say actually, basically, that colonialism is alive and well. It's growing right. just as strong as it was before. Yeah. And now it's actually is done. It's carried out through, you know, through corporations that have their bases in the industrialized. Right. Societies. Okay. There was a book that I read. Uh, it was about the about Guatemala. Mm -hmm. No, not Guatemala. Yeah, Guatemala or Honduras. I don't know. Dang it. 
Um, but it was it was one of those uh, countries where I mean, basically, um, a company came in. They I think they had a military coup. Uh, a company and they had a it was sponsored by the military coup was supported by the the war on drugs supposedly mm. the military was paid by the war on drugs in order to f- combat um, drug production um, and once the government was established they brought in these these international corporations which bought the majority of the land in order to farm on the majority of the land is not is not the people's land. It's these corporations' land, and they farm um, usually just one type of product mm-hmm. or one or two types of products. Um, and most recently, what was it? I think it's palm oil. Okay. Um, that is becoming this huge, huge um, money making um, um, crop. Um, that they can sell all around the world and they need to buy more and more and more farmland because unlike oil where you can just pull out um, from in just one piece palm oil you need to grow these crops and they take up acres miles of, of, of land and you're just taking it away from the from the people well and, that's the, the basic pattern yeah that you know like takes place today, but took place actually during colonization, yeah, European colonial, colonization. It was basically the taking of land in order actually to use it for the purpose. For a long time, it was actually, you know, the Caribbean area was used for sugar, for example. Mm-hmm. It still know, is. So, yeah, but, you know, through that type of colonization, European colonization. And the thing is actually there's a justification. I don't know, you know, if, you know, justification for two or something. Initially, you see, the justification for for colonization initially was the spread of Christianity. Mm-hmm. Then would be the spread of civilization, as if civilization was anything desirable. Let's say, you know. Yeah. And then now is the spread of the spread of modernity, modernization, as if modernization is something actually which is highly desirable, you know. And modernization is again, like we said, actually democracy, value placed on the individual. Uh, economic system that you know, satisfies the global market, you know, and things like that, you know, and um, the number one enemy, for example, of globalization would be something like reciprocity, you know. Reciprocity? Where, yeah, reciprocity, let's say actually a society that engages just in self-subsistence. Oh, yeah. And, and reciprocity, and they survive mm-hmm. on that one without the need for, to trade anything big time with, or to produce for, you know, a, a large market, let's say. You know, today you see the, the market, the market itself, the term market, would be actually kind of like a, a concept similar to God in the past or something like that, you see? Yeah. Somehow the market, we believe that it conditions, you see, actually uh, relationships, you say, you know, relations, you know, uh, take, they take place among societies in the world and so on, and that's conditioning is we think established by the law of supply and demand when actually it's mainly speculations, let's say, you right. know, that drive the market. And again, yeah, but that's, that's uh, as anthropologists, yeah, we don't, at least myself, I don't like globalization at all, but it's something that's happening in kind of in a way. That process actually has been going on forever, but big time since the 1500s, you know, with the Europeans arriving here and stuff. Well, the United States, um, I'm starting to notice that there is a move, uh, 
not from the people I'd like to see it from, but there is a movement where, you know, people want to be self-sufficient. There's this move away from, you know, like, uh, they want to grow their own crop, they want to have their own chickens and, and kill it themselves. There is a movement towards, you know, um, um, if you're going to eat meat, you should kill it yourself. Right. You know, going to the natural... Mm-hmm way of, of it's of, a it's a it's a rejection of of the mass production of of everything that we do here how we live off of um the way that we farm animals the way that we farm produce the way that we genetically modify our fruits and vegetables so that way they're they're in abundance as opposed to just relying on our natural resources or, or working for what we can how widespread do you think that movement is it's, it's not, still it's pretty early. It's still in its early but stages. It's, it's getting much more popular. Well, it's hard to. It's really hard, at least for me, to gauge because we live in an area where people are are very trust fund babies. <laughs> well, I mean, they, that. They, there are people. Yeah, we live in Los Angeles, basically, yeah. where where people can just do. They have the money. If they have the money, they'll they'll do it, and, yeah. and there's no shame in it. But the rest of the country, there are there are still some places that you know they're growing their own tomatoes. They're they have their own chickens, mm-hmm. you know, um, and it's becoming com- becoming more and more popular to do that and cheaper. Yeah, overall. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, still, it, we mm-hmm. we we have a long way to go before it actually be, takes off. You know, I mean, I even so. what yeah, I wonder if it would have. Sorry to that. I oh, no, show skepticism, let's say, you know, but yeah, yeah, I don't know. The powers, I think, that are behind all this are so so strong, you know, it's just you now they're, they're, they're putting together the museum. Oh, okay, I was like, I'm like, things. did I hear that? <laughs> the computer, yeah, they're, they're sending stuff outside. Yeah, I don't know, I don't know. Uh, I think that right now, as anthropologists, what, uh, what we look at mainly is actually at, at just the changes, you know, uh, in a way, uh, going around the world, going on. And uh, small societies, you know, are, are basically, are there for the time being, you know, they are basically... Uh, the transformations are were interesting, you know, the idea that actually the world is going to become homogenized, let's say, regarding perspectives and so on, that's actually questionable. You know, uh, people change, but, you know, on their own terms. And their own terms, you know, means that actually they're going to, ideas that are, I don't know, are, are in a way borrowed, you know, from one area to the next. Oh, hi. Hi. How are you? Oh, wow, this is awesome. Yeah, I'm okay. Yeah, I'm sorry. No, no, no. Just want to ask to see if I want to go for lunch afterwards. Oh, you know, I would like to, but, you know, because, how do you see, my wife is waiting for me. Oh, she is? Yeah, because my wife and dog, because they want to take the dogs to the canals in Venice. Oh, okay. Uh, but we can go actually maybe next week or something, right? Sure. Okay. Okay, thanks, eh? Thank you a lot. Sorry for the interruption. No, 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 it's fine. Yeah, no, I, I, we, we go to lunch actually quite often together. I would like to go, but... Uh, <laughs> Don't want to make them feel too... <laughs> no, no, yeah, but, uh, but they're 
Yeah, then I know if I go with him, then I would take, you know, another hour or so. And then, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, uh, so what one looks at is at the, at those changes, you see, and how cultures change in their own terms, let's say. So I wanted to ask you, um, because you've seen it um, yourself in religion and um, I guess um, in your own work, um, in your own studies, um, what, what is the influence of, of um, hallucinogenic drugs in, in religion, in cultures, in the individual that, you, that you've noticed in your own, in your own um, experience or whatever? Okay, well, uh, to start with... That was a horrible question, but the way I was <laughs> with, You know, there's a... You know the term shaman and stuff shaman, like that? Yeah. yeah. Those are terms you see kind of like umbrella. Well, that's an umbrella term, but, you know, many anthropologists actually reject the usage of that term to populations other than Siberian shamans, which are... The term actually originates in Siberia, you see. Mm-hmm. And groups, you know, traditional groups in that area. And they're characterized by particular, particular actually behaviors and particular ways of achieving, you know, alter. Actually, they even reject the term altered state of consciousness or ecstatic states and so on because they believe that those are also conducive to that, the building of that dichotomy, you know, as per system. Because when we say shamans and so on, we and we extend that term to all the, you know, the indigenous societies of the world, whatever particular type of, even the static state, they are kind of like what they do, you know, whereas actually we engage in actually rational behavior or whatever, no? But again, hallucinogenic drugs, you know, the thing is that uh, as I read, you know, it seems to be the case that you see, when you look at hunting and gathering societies, let's say, remember, mm-hmm. I don't know, hunting and gathering societies, then there's actually simple societies, let's say, you know, even horticultural societies, you know, it seems that actually they, you see, they're, a, I'm overgeneralizing and I'm actually <laughs> stating that in case somebody hears and then gets on my case. But for, to, for, for for the most part, you see, their world of spirits, you see, is the world of spirits reflects the social system. So if the social system tends to be kind of like egalitarian, the world of spirits would tend to be, to a certain extent, egalitarian. You know? If the, world, if the society of people is hierarchical, the world of spirits would tend to be kind of like hierarchical. You know? And then the relationship of people to the spirits, you see, is one, it varies from society to society according to social complexity. You know, in many simple societies, uh, the relationship of people to the spirits is one like, hey, I want to negotiate with you. You know, kind of like reciprocity. Right. Mm-hmm. Kind of like, hey, you, for example, if, if a spirit was called Jesus, Jesus, come here. Let's do, I want to talk to you. Just work something out. Yeah, <laughs> rather than supplication, you know, in our society would be more like supplication. Mm-hmm. Supplication is typical of more hierarchical societies. You know, the relationship that there is with the Lord, whatever, with the, you know, with the powerful noble, whatever, well, it's there 
the relationship that you have with, with the supernatural. Yeah? Mm -hmm. So in so many of those egalitarian societies, you see the use of drugs, you know, you know, is quite common. Or the, well, not only the use of drugs, but the attainment of ecstatic states, you know, trance. It's quite common, and and actually, it's not necessarily just exclusive to one individual or another, or a religious practitioner or another. You know, mm -hmm. hallucinogenic drugs are used a lot, for example, in the area of, of the Americas, not South America, let's say. You know, mm -hmm. actually, uh, so many are of the psychotropic drugs right there. You know, in the Amazon. Huh? How convenient. Yeah, convenient. <laughs> but in other places, they use other means, perhaps actually extreme dancing, drumming, whatever. You know, rhythm. Yeah, they develop like this trance kind of state. Yeah. Just, just from dancing. Just from dancing, for example. But again, actually, but they communication you see is so in those societies you see in which uh, there there is that easy communication negotiation and so on so anybody can do it and anybody has access to the drugs let's say you know to do it throughout the americas for example the most sacred drug used to be tobacco native populations really the indigenous tobacco well the idea is uh, according to how the Story goes, Christopher Columbus arrived at Hispaniola, let's say, in 1492. And right there, the second day, I think, actually, some Indians rowing brought some wrinkled leaves, you know. And those were actually tobacco leaves. And the Spanish, what the hell, what are these for? <laughs> and then, actually, as they, you know, were sailing down the coast, they, they saw, actually, that there were huge bonfires. And the Indians were actually, the Native Americans were... Uh, inhaling, you know, some of that smoke. The thing is that, you see, that was a plan that tobacco has tons of qualities, let's say, you know. And to start with, the nicotine content of the wild tobacco is incredible. For the, the tobacco that we smoke, you know, the nicotine content is way below 1%. Oh, wow. Know, for the one that we smoke. For the for theirs is seventeen percent. Oh wow. wow! So it's extremely so these, addictive. So these and so on. are just all over the oh, place. Oh no, no, no! But what it is is, let's say, uh, 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 there are qualities such as it reduces uh, fever by two degrees centigrade. Really? Wow! That run. Then also the smoke, you know, was blown. There's so many actually uh, drawings made by Spanish showing how the shamans would actually blow smoke, let's say, into an afflicted area, an area, pain, an area in pain, you know, to, to reduce, let's say, ameliorate, let's say, the pain of individuals. You know, they, it's placed always actually in the gums to, you know, when you have actually toothaches and so on. Um, and then it was consumed by all, always. Tobacco juice was actually placed through the eye, through actually, wow. you know, uh, wounds that you would, you know, so sort of like marijuana. Also, animals and stuff. Also well, but right? also with regard to this altered state of consciousness, what a tobacco does is that really it makes, it intensifies the effects of just regular drugs. You see, that is, it seems that actually makes, I don't know, blood, blood vessels a little permeable or something. You know, so the, or something, so that the effect of drugs really is intensified. So tobacco was one. 
Then the other one, the second one was ayahuasca, no yaje. Uh -huh. And that one, hallucinogen, the most powerful hallucinogen, they say, no? I don't know, I never tried it. Still time. No, but, no, but, um, but um, in the bucket list. You know. But, uh, no, but that, for example, you see, um, the idea here is that everybody or most people within society has access to it you see and can and then actually experience you know reach all these experiences now they something they say for example sometimes is that to them they feel that it opens their mind and they can see differently you know in the sense that you know like a microscope has enabled us to wow get a new perspective you know they believe that all these drugs, you know, ayahuasca is one of them, tobacco intensifies uh, that effect, and then there's so many others. They feel that that, in a way, actually uh, opens up their perception. Then they can perceive things that with the naked eye you see or with the naked, with just your regular mindset you cannot, you know. It amplifies your understanding of things, you know, because we perceive the world only according to our limited senses. You know, they believe that actually it provides with, it opens up those senses now. But now the thing is this, um, so they have actually constructed their understanding of their world a lot in, in the Americas through the use of these plants, okay? So now, you see, but as you look at hierarchical societies, you see, the the use of these plants is only part of the the elite part. Even actually, you know, the priests, the priesthood, which is associated with the elite, and at times not even them. All their state of consciousness is not a welcome thing, you see, a welcome experience, except in some, maybe the Mayas and so on. But otherwise, you see, when you look at elite society, uh, hierarchical society, all their state of consciousness are not something desirable for all the population. Only for a limited few. Only perhaps for a limited few, but even then, no more. So I believe that the use of our, you see, so many centuries later, let's say our, uh, in a way actually, a rejection of altered state of consciousness, the drugs that actually lead you to that and so on, all these hallucinogens, have to do with that, you know, that with the fact that we are a hierarchical society and we continue with that trend. Well, that that actually makes sense because in, like, for instance, Judaism, only the rabbi and the selected are allowed inside the tabernacle. Um, in Catholicism, I mean, um, only the priest can, or, and the pope can, um, you know, give out the Eucharist, or, or, you know, only certain people mm -hmm. are allowed to touch the Eucharist, or consecrated you know and and it tends to maintain that hierarchical structure exactly you see in the other a society in which there's a let's say a simple society with a shaman operating let's say there you know practicing religion well he's a good you know people realize, uh, people accept he's actually in a way has some 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 uh, in a way actually vantage point, whatever, some, you know, some, he's good at what he does, at healing and so on, but, right. uh, 
But everybody can have access to the supernatural, you know? Everybody, if they want to. Why not? Because actually you see that lack of hierarchy. You see, the, in a way, actually enables everyone to participate in that experience. See, and I know a few people that, that have done ayahuasca and um, they have their little ceremonies, but they always emphasize that it's not like any other drug um, that they've ever taken. That, um, you know, I, nobody's doing ayahuasca at a club, you know? Mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, um, ayahuasca is done with the most reverence um, and um, the most planned out and supportive environment. Mm -hmm. it's, not, it's not done recreationally by anybody. But the thing is, yeah, that recreation, uh, uh, for example, in, yeah, in those societies, actually, the use of drugs, you see, uh, has a purpose, no? Right. Follows a particular purpose, which is to, in a way, contact that other dimension, let's say. You know, to many other, actually, the ultimate reality, whatever. Uh, so, and everything is guided. You're guided by a shaman. If you're actually, perhaps, you know, a, are, are being subjected to a treatment, you see your consumption of drugs, you see... Uh, that's very, it's depicted in that movie From Peyote to LSD, you know, by, mm -hmm. narrated by Wade Davis, you know, as an anthropologist. Yeah. And they are, uh, well, they are, for example, the consumption of, I think it's Teonankaku, you know, that uh, sacred mushroom, let's say, mm -hmm. flesh of the gods. No, 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 no. Uh, well, I, I think in a way, actually, uh, that perhaps actually the, the chemical uh, composition would be... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and well, uh, but their term for it is the Onankaku, you know. Mm -hmm. But um, you see, they're guided by a knowledgeable individual. Let's say, you know, there's a purpose as to where, you know, these visions should take you, or whatever, you know. And instead, when we do it for recreational purposes, we are just lost, you know, without any guidance, and anything can happen. Let's say, you know. But that's, it would be one way of looking at it, no? Right. But again, but yeah, to your original question, you know, like <laughs> a half hour ago. <laughs> uh, yeah, in a way, actually, uh, drugs have helped, in a way, actually construct, let's say, how I, uh, in a way, it was told to me once in, a, in class by actually uh, jo Johannes Wilbert, you know, and an anthropologist who actually studied for years, actually, in Guadalupe, Venezuela, that the drugs, in a way, actually help construct you see their sense of reality to actually so many groups, let's say, in the Americas. So you hear to hear on another BS podcast, Otero supports you. Marijuana, I don't understand actually why, why there is a war of marijuana and so on, but no, drugs and really, you know, I, I'm not even, a, a, don't, I don't even drink alcohol, you know, myself. I really, even though I talk about all this, I, I like to be as clear-headed as I can. Right. You know that is, if I could consume a drug that I cannot, again, for my, it would be caffeine, caffeine all the time. Okay. Yeah, and if cigarettes weren't bad for you, I think I would be puffing day and night. <laughs> but to be, <laughs> to be as 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 I don't know as clear-headed as possible. Let's right. say, you know, and 
and you know what he needs? He needs bulletproof coffee. Yeah. Have you ever heard of bulletproof? No, coffee? I cannot have caffeine. That's a problem. You know. Oh, you can. You know, it's because of reflux. You see, and then it really affects me. Oh, and it's hard to talk. No, lately I've been feeling great because I I just made a commitment to actually avoid all those substances. But it's it's. But caffeine, when I was uh, going to graduate school, I remember I was driving from Santa Monica to Riverside, oh, you know? But by then, actually, years ago, it was not, there was no traffic. It was just open, the 60, you know, just totally open. But still, on the way back, I would be sleepy. Sometimes I would be working and, and stuff and just sleep two, three hours and then drive, you know? And I remember I would consume those vibrant tablets, caffeine tablets. <laughs> well, I thought you, know? you I thought I thought you were going to say, I just pop, pop some ecstasy and just drove down no, the night. No, no, no. <laughs> Caffeine tablets, you know, and Caffeine. God, I would be so awake. Wired, yeah. So wired, driving, and so to me, that's, that's the, that would be the drug of my choice. Caffeine, I would be actually, I would be, well, either with a espresso machine at home, otherwise I would be at Starbucks <laughs> day and night, yeah. Well, I, I still go to Starbucks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but... Um, I love coffee. is one of my favorite drugs. But, but yeah. I, you see, as an anthropologist, I have to say, actually, that sh- I'm sure there is, no? and there, I know there is, but there should be a, a really uh, scientific investigation on drugs and and but in actually in, in what their capabilities, capabilities are and what they actually make us capable of achieving. You well, know, many some philosophers and stuff actually have, in a way, after consuming, you know, like ayahuasca and stuff, you know, have actually given their ideas. There was that, what was that book? The Doors of Perception, something like that? Doors of Perception. Yeah, and... Uh, by Huxley, no? I think so. Yeah, that, uh, that's the idea that it opens our doors of perception. All of a sudden, we have actually, you know... It, it grants access to that third eye that we were talking about at the beginning of the podcast. Yeah, well, that would be actually, I don't know, whoever believes in that, no, and right. stuff about what I'm saying, but, but again, you know, uh, it's another way of looking at them. Of course, actually, but if you think about it, actually, if, yeah, if everybody consumed drugs and how can we function perhaps in in our modern social world driving and stuff like that would be a mess. No? It would be. It would be a mess. Or fun. <laughs> uh, yeah, fun. Uh, alcohol, no. Alcohol actually was before, of course, actually prohibited, but... It became then, worse when it was prohibited, I think. Right? I mean, there was so much... Uh, not, not, not caused by the alcohol itself, but I mean, the... The effects of people smuggling it and yeah, I yeah, mean, we used to so much into crime. Perhaps with marijuana would be something similar, but with alcohol, uh, <clears throat> again, actually nowadays, actually we could say alcohol to a certain extent actually helps helps us cope, you know, with yeah uh, so much. At the same time, it it's actually the cause of so many I don't know bad things, accidents, abuse at home, you know, domestic abuse, and things like that. Yeah. No, but well, just like anything, too much of any one substance mm-hmm. is bad for you. Yeah, no. or abuse of any substance. Or any abuse yeah. of any substance. You no, know, anything you do, you should do responsibly. You should be aware of what you're. Well, doing. I mean, I've done, I've done, I've done plenty of drugs, but I never do them every weekend or every month. I, I mean, 
now today, I mean, I might just take you know um, one one tab once a year, if that. I don't even think last year I did any. I've just been so busy, and you do your own thing. You know, you're you're doing things in life. Well, and we we consume drugs all the time, like coffee, cigarettes, and. Night will aspirin. Yeah, Nyquil sugar, aspirin. perhaps. No? So sugar. Oh, yeah. sugar. Xanax and, and so on. But let's say actually just, for example, in Argentina, we have mate. No mate, yerba mate would be actually, it's, 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 a, it's a drink, you know, but mm-hmm. throughout Brazil, Argentina, Paraguay, Chile, you know, everybody, Uruguay, everybody consumes it. And it has a lot of caffeine and really keeps you up, you know. I, I drink it as a tea. Yeah, and. But, you know, for many actually attribute to that, to the use of mate, uh, the reason why perhaps there's not that much obesity, like in Argentina and so on, because oh, they're always drinking, always filled up, you know, because it fills you up, you know. Yeah. And, and But, again, so many of these drugs, you know, so there are all those drugs which are, in a way, to a certain extent, benign, let's say, or not, you know, help us function, cope, and so on. But then there's actually the bad ones like heroin, no? And just yeah, there's now Philip Seymour Hoffman, the methamphetamine, those that condition, yeah, to, to be a slave to them, that's terrible. And I don't know, but coca, cocaine will be another one. But yeah. but you well, were that saying that's a little bit different because cocaine is, I don't know, if you take it at its most um, natural form, which is just the leaf, right? Um, yeah, but that would be because. Because I think that you need a, so many leaves in order to actually have a little bit of cocaine, no? Oh. And so many, so much other stuff is added to it. Coke, coca leaves actually, according to what I read, they function. They would be like a, you know, it provides actually a stimulant, but also actually pro, it really ameliorates, reduces the, you know, the, all the symptoms that you get at high altitudes. You know, oh, also wow. it kind of like reduces the tension, hunger, pangs, let's say, you know, and, and, and things like that. And, and it's kind of like a stimulant. Actually, the Spanish are the ones responsible for, in a way, making cocaine, I wouldn't say popular, but actually mass consumed by indigenous people because they realized at one point that. that uh, the Indians work harder with cocaine, with coca. I mean, when they chew coca leaves. So then actually they had the Indians produce coca, and then they sold the coca to the Indians so that they would chew wow. it, so that they would harder wow. to them. Now yeah. we get some gold. Yeah, because before it seems actually that, it seems, it seems, you know, that during the Inca Empire, uh, coca was mainly consumed by the elite, you know. But again, coca received two-day is actually is a product which is fundamental to indigenous, you know, Andean population's identity. Yeah. The way in which they you know, establish contact with the supernatural, the way in which they just reinforce their, you know, their social structure and so on, all is done through coca, you know. The chewing, the sharing of coca, you know, the blowing of coca essence to the mountains, whatever. But now, actually, Peru is the number one coca-producing country. Really? Because Colombia is not anymore, because actually the war on drugs kind of like worked into cutting down a little bit of production. So, but now we're going to get into Peru. But, but you know what, actually, but 
Yeah, but that coca is part of their religion. Yeah, it's part of their culture. Culture. It's kind of like if you say, I don't know, trying to prevent them or to do to engage in that is kind of like preventing Christians from actually sharing the Eucharist or whatever, or, right, exactly. or just closing down churches or something like that, you know. But I, I don't know, but that's, uh, you know, it's, it's hard because our inability to control cocaine addiction here, you know, now actually leads us to to influence, let's say, negatively the life we say. Well, you know, ironically, out. I mean, because I was watching this documentary called Neurons to... Nirvana? Ner- Neurons to Nirvana, thank you. Um, and it talks about several different types of drugs that they... Um, and, and they're medical use. Um, one of them is psilocybin mushrooms, um, uh, marijuana, um, MDMA, um, the purest form of ecstasy, um, and um, um, peyote. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, no, not peyote. Ayahuasca. Okay. Um, and they were talking about how ayahuasca is actually used um, in order to... Uh, people who have addictions who are like... Uh, um, alcoholics or who are addicted to cocaine or, or, or meth or heroin, they take ayahuasca and after like one or two ayahuasca sessions, they no longer have that feeling of wanting to do um, heroin anymore. Or mm. they're, or they're no longer addicted. So they, ha- they lose this, I, I guess it's like this self-realization or, or, or perspective where they just lose that, that need to, to crave that and that treatment is performed with the assistance of a guide or something like Correct. that? Correct. It, yeah, it's not, it's it's always guided by, by either a shaman or somebody who, who knows what they're doing. Well, it's, well, peyote has actually similar applications, no? Mm-hmm. In the sense, actually, uh, by members of the Native American church, no, it seems that even addiction is, in a way, actually treated through the use of peyote. Yeah, I, I remember you showed a video oh, of them... Right, performing. Yeah, and I think that was an, an older video. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and yeah. it was really interesting because they were, they just take a little bit of peyote and it's a whole overnight yeah, it's thing. It's a little, right? as little or as much as you can handle. That's the idea. Yeah. You know, so and they take it in different forms, you know, that is actually could be just the, the dry, actually, uh, um, thing as well as actually, a, you know, a tea. You know, made out of the peyote cotton, uh, let's say, and so on. So, so many, many different ways. Some can consume a ton of it, and others actually barely any. But yeah, and I, well, I don't know if, if peyote does the same thing, but I know in ayahuasca sessions, many people are throwing up, and yeah, for them, it's, it's that it's that um, cleansing. It's a cleansing. Symbolically, perhaps, of, yeah, 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 the pur- yeah the pur- Realistically, I don't know what the hell that is because it's all black. <laughs> yeah, they say they say that they throw up like slugs or, or or parasites come out of their body. Again, they are the issue of faith, no, and whatever. Yeah. But but look, if that heals you, exactly. You know, if you come out of that a better person or a more established person or a more well-rounded person, and it doesn't drive you to insanity or something like if that, talking, then you're fine. If we're talking about globalization, and we're right. saying actually that, well, but going back to that one, actually, when we go to a psychologist, isn't this kind of like similar? Yeah. The psychologist tries to yeah. reason with us or whatever, but the idea is to get to at one point is to a sense of realization, no? And maybe actually them through throwing up whatever they they get to it 
you know, type of realization that actually, you know, I, I was, for example, studying with uh, the, the espiritualistas now in Mexico. Uh -huh. And to them, actually, there's healing treatments not only deal, the, those healing treatments not only deal with physical conditions, but also actually emotional conditions. <laughs> and in their case, actually, it's done through, you know, not necessarily through the consumption of stuff, but through actually the treatment itself as opposed to, you know, I don't know, affect like a major emotional change, you know, that at one point you, you know, you're, you're able to, to, to actually to overcome whatever you're going through. Perhaps even actually something like the use of drugs, you know, the addiction to drugs and things like that. But what we're saying, we were talking about globalization, no? And um, how was I going to connect this? Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, because... Uh, um, we're going to stop. The them producing cocoa plants in Peru is it? No, no, it was something like um, uh, no, it, it, uh, oh no, it, for example, and then we somehow actually we are you see questioning you see these methods of healing that whatever by whatever oh. means actually if they work you know. Uh, if they work, actually, if something, what is it? It ain't broken, why fix it? That's right. what it is. I, I don't know. I, I, you know, and faith, I think, actually, is so important. And uh, kind of like jumping here a little bit seems actually to another topic. But the idea is that uh, it goes with this, actually, of, of respecting other systems of health care and so on. It, with regard to that, actually, look, we've been actually with industrialization, industrialism for about, what, 250 years, more or less? Mm -hmm. And the world is actually becoming a little messy, polluted and stuff like that. Who knows how long we would last, no? We will last, actually, uh, the same, you know, if we actually even keep on speeding it up and so on. But how can we, how can we criticize a society in the Amazon, for example, when they've been, or, or other societies, when they've been actually there for so many generations, hundreds, perhaps actually a few thousand years, you know, and they've been actually in certain cultural balance, equilibrium, you know, with the environment and so on. Can we criticize their way of life, which includes healthcare and whatever? You know, and that healthcare might be actually, you know, I don't know, a particular... You know, treatment might involve the use of drugs and the throwing up. That worked for them. So it means yeah. that, you know, uh, things worked. You See, know? It's interesting so, when, just to touch on that a little bit of healthcare, it's it, not, not that healthcare is this, the topic, but, you know, when I discuss with people about healthcare, and, you know, I, I personally believe we should have a single payer system and, you know, or a universal type of healthcare system. And, and the first thing that comes out of some people's mouth who disagree with Obamacare and, and everything, they say that, well, you know, healthcare is, isn't a right. You don't have a, a right to healthcare and so forth. And then I think about the cultures that you're talking about, these, these ancient civilizations. They don't, I don't think they really perceive it as a right. It's just more of a perception of, well, we should be helping each other out. It's more of, this is our community, and we're, we're trying to help each other out, and we want each other to be better. 
Yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah, like civilization, you know, civilization, the, the basic ingredient of civilization is social difference. You know, because you, but uh, these groups, let's say, this simple society. Mm-hmm. And these simple societies, yeah, it's actually, it's, uh, it's actually that there's the group and everybody actually has access to whatever they have, whether it's medical care, whether it's actually work and so on. You know, that's a, we actually very much are into the individual. But the problem with it, when, when we actually try to individual rights and so on, that's, I love it, you know, I couldn't live without it. <laughs> but I don't know if that's really satisfactory for everyone because individualism, democracy and so on, is something that could leave you without a house, without shelter, without work, without access, without health care and so on, you know. Actually, yeah. uh, 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 you know, when you have a whole kinship arranger or society arranged on the basis of kinship, everybody has access to health, their version of health care, their version of work, their version of land, and so on, you know. There, you know, land to cultivate, whatever. But uh, health care, yeah, to me, my eyes actually, yeah, should be a right of, of everyone, no? The same as if we say, actually, police... You know, protection should be a right of everyone or not, you know, and, or fire protection, right. fire, you know, it should, should be a right. Uh, yeah, to me, actually, the medical institution is, is wrongly structured because it shouldn't, doctors shouldn't make that much money. Doctors yeah. shouldn't be an elite position. Doctors should be some who do it because of vocations. Right. I don't know, but that's, of course, it's another one, but, but I, I agree with this Obamacare. I support that thing so much, and hopefully... It works out, no? But, Hopefully. But, yeah, the, it's, it's, but it's actually we're such a huge society with so many different uh, diff people from different backgrounds, you know, and, and so on. We compare that with with societies in Europe, you know, and, and which actually there's a lot of social medicine and so on, but those are so much more homogeneous societies, I think, you know? Yeah. And right now they're having problems because there are so many, let's say, actually, um, so many for uh, so many actually enclaves of migrants and so on, and now actually the rights to be extended to all those, you know, brings about a problem, so I don't know. But yeah, no, healthcare should be something. Well, because uh, we're, we're kind of... Yeah, well, how long have we been here? Oh, we've been here for a while. <laughs> but, uh, hours before, or so? Uh, about two hours. Two, really? Two hours and, and 17 wow, minutes. Wow, really? Time <laughs> just flies. Yeah. I know. Um, so I, gotta, I gotta get to work soon. Yeah, well, let me just uh, ask you uh, something real quick, um, just because um, we don't know when we're going to see you again. But um, name one or two things that you would uh, recommend our viewers as essential or encourage people to do um, in their lives? Anything. It doesn't have to be specifically anthropology or religion or anything. Just things that you would recommend. To do in their lives. Uh, it could be a philosophy or an To have action. passion to start with. To have passion in whatever. I remember reading once a, a, a t- tiny little interview, actually, Robert De Niro in the calendar, you know, the Times. Mm-hmm. And they asked him, what about your kids and so on? He said, well, my kids, of course, actually, their future economically is, is sure, you know, he has the money. But he said, but I, I hope that I was able to transmit to them the fa- passion. He had so much passion always for acting. When he was young, for example, 
he was actually whatever play for free whatever you know and uh, and I think it's passion passion uh, uh, passion really uh, I see you guys have passion to, to put all this together, you know. And, yeah, no, to passion for passion doesn't mean actually to, to be a musician, to be an actor, to be an anthropologist, whatever. But in whatever one does, you know, to really feel that passion, something that drives you rather than just going to work, coming back home, watching TV, and rather than just trying to survive, you know. But to have passion in whatever they're doing, that would be actually the main thing I would advise. I would. You know, I think actually that gives you purpose in life. You know? right. Yeah. Yeah. Passion. Then other ones want to study anthropology. You know? <laughs> <laughs> no, to have passion and to have good relationships. You know, I'm. A, I think I'm most of all basically just a family person, and that's actually what makes me so happy. You know, my wife and kids and so on. That's it. But um, yeah, to have passion, then to be a critical thinker. No. And, yeah. and to be a critical thinker means actually that just try to read or take classes, go to a community college or to university and take classes in anthropology and, you know, in, in political science and history. I think anthropology actually opens uh, everyone's mind because uh, you're exposed to now all these different uh, perspectives, let's say. Yeah. Which actually challenge, you know, anything we hold dear or we we held to be actually defining of reality, let's say, you know. Mm-hmm. And and so I think I think that passion, good relationships, and critical thinking mainly actually through anthropology, things like that. Mainly through anthropology. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much for yeah, thank you guys. Here. Thank you guys. I hope you enjoyed yourself uh yeah, no, it was yeah. great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Really simple, you know, just a conversation. Um, what should I cover? Oh, yeah. Well, I guess that's pretty much it. Um, for all our listeners, you know, you know, email us, contact us uh, through our email, um, anotherbspodcast at gmail.com, or visit us at our blog spot at um, anotherbspodcast.blogspot.com. Right. Um, do you have any like Twitter or um, Facebook that you want people to follow you on? I don't have any of those. No. Yeah, just... you don't tweet, right? <laughs> no, 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 no. I don't even know how to tweet. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's part of globalization. Yeah. It's, uh... No, no. I, uh, one of these days, actually, Facebook or something like that. But I don't. I, I had I had them, and then I just deleted them. Yeah, really? uh, yeah. It's I just it's I, too much time spent on them. Yeah, too much time. I'm having more. Thing at all. It's not very productive. <laughs> I never no. All right then, guys. Um, I guess that's it. I'll we'll probably make another podcast next week, like we yeah. usually do, and get back on schedule. All right, guys. Have a good day. Bye.